Hello and welcome to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show, and you are listening to episode 14, The Rebellion Awakens. Joining me as always are the usual bandits. First up is our northern brother, a loose collector of both modern and vintage, and now, surprising everyone, a focus collector. It's Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Rich, focus collector. Can you tell us which character and whether this focus will include packaging? My new focus is going to be R5-D4. Um, I think it may have been Jez in either the last episode or the episode prior to that said that we should ask the audience to suggest a new focus for me to collect, seeing that I've nearly finished collecting everything. But I've jumped ahead and said, no, I'm going to choose me one. <laughs> so R5-D4, and I'm going to collect everything, including proof cards, um, mocks, anything I can get my hands on. And I'm, I just want to clarify, I am not a mock collector. I'm an R5-D4 collector, and if it has mocks, I will collect it. There is a big difference. Next up is our TIE fighter focus collector and oddball fanatic from somewhere just outside England. It's Mr. Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Stu. How are you doing? All good, pal. Next, we have our gentle giant, a Leia and Padme fanatic with an obsession with comics. He's got the largest feet of the podcast team. It's Peter Davis. Evening, large-feeted Pete. Finally. And finally, our latest acquisition guru, a Luke X-Wing pilot focus collector. Good evening, Jez. Good evening, Stu. Good evening, everyone. As mentioned in the previous podcast, our rebranding has now taken place. So if you want to contact us via email, the new address is swtvrpodcast at gmail.com, which I will again repeat at the end. Now, I feel recently that we start all podcasts with an apology, and once again, we start this episode with another. Let's just listen to this clip from episode 13. I have contacted guys from all over the world to get the answers to this question. I have contacted guys from all over the world to get the answers to this question. I have contacted guys from all over the world to get the answers to this question. I have contacted guys from all over the world to get the answers to this question. So the ones that you didn't get, just to quickly run through. Luke Skywalker and his battle poncho. Now, Rich... Having listened to that clip, it would appear <laughs> that you owe our listeners yet another apology. Oh, every week! <laughs> uh, well, it's beginning to feel like that, Pete, isn't it? And I'm starting to get a little every bit embarrassed. Every week? Well, as we just heard on it's that shameful. clip, Rich, you stated that you had contacted people from all over the world regarding your opening question last month, and it is clear that you didn't contact anyone in Europe. You stated that Luke oh. Poncho doesn't appear on any boxed item, where he oh. clearly makes an appearance on the Tri-Logo Power of the Force Security Scout. Now, do you have anything to say, and can you please apologise to the listeners once again for feeding false information? Then, yep, I apologise. I, I spent many hours looking through boxes, and I've missed that one. So, yeah, I'll take, I'll take that one. Do you agree that you're letting us down a little bit? Massively. Right, so let's get on to what everyone has been buying. Jez, been spending some pennies? Not really. I, I, uh, I blew my wad. Hey! <laughs> I blew my wad on a Palatoy Star Wars Luke X-Wing card, and when it arrived, it was damaged. Oh. Uh, I was... Absolutely gutted. It was. It wasn't sold as um, as described. It didn't arrive definitely as described. So so that went back, and that was uh, quite a, a large amount of money which I, I put over for that. Um, so so that was that. That was going to be my big one. There was, and that was it. However, I haven't come here with with nothing since the last podcast. I bought myself a Cloud Car Pilot forty eight back. Emperor Strikes Back from Ian. 
Beautiful. Grant? I got some modern prototypes for a TIE pilot. I got the uh, X-Wing series of uh, computer games from the 1990s. But what arrived today, which I think is a really awesome collectible, is the TV Times, which is, uh, as you guys know, is a weekly magazine from, uh, from 1982 when we had three channels on our TV. But I got to, I wanted to buy it because then I could find out when was the first time I actually watched Star Wars. But unfortunately, this is the Yorkshire version. But I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that it's the same Star Wars that would have been on TV on all the channels. So apparently, I watched Star Wars for the first time at 7.15 on the 24th of October, 1982. But uh, what's also amazing about the magazines is it's got some really crazy stuff inside. It's got a non-Marvel comic strip introducing all the Star Wars characters and a few panels on how Princess Leia got the Death Star plans, which I thought was uh, mind-blowing. I didn't even know that existed. Got some interviews with Kenny Baker, uh, Andy Daniels, Peter Mayhew, Carrie Fisher. There's a competition in it to win £10,000 worth of Star Wars uh, Paddy Toy Toys. Uh, what? Just... £10,000 back in 1982? Yeah, for sure. It's insane. Not only that, the main prize is you meet Darth Vader, he takes you to the cinema to watch an exclusive screening of Empire Strikes Back, and gives you a Darth Vader carry case. So, um, yeah. It can't be ten grand. But this TV Times magazine, I might actually start collecting these instead of Star Wars, because it, it's absolutely amazing. Grant, can I ask you what, what that cost you? Uh, six ninety nine, mate. I was the only bidder on eBay, but I really wanted it, because I just wanted to get that information and to find out what the hype was behind Star Wars. They said it was nigh irresistible. So some of the English that they used back then was a bit, bit different to what we use these days. I'm sure, like Jez, he can probably only the one to remember that, or or maybe Richard as well. But it was a massive event when it happened. I remember everyone at school uh, used an excuse not to go in in the morning or try to anyway. Um, it was it was a monstrous event. Everyone was talk about it at school the next day. It was ridiculous. It was like uh, it was. Remember, it was the first time a lot of people had seen the Star Wars, and probably the first time people had seen it. You know, three or four years. So it's not like today where you can just go and get a video of it or a DVD or whatever or download it. You had to wait. <laughs> you had to wait for it to be on TV. I think I think George Lucas didn't want it on TV or something because he didn't want it being shown on a rubbishy looking screen. I, no, mean, I, I remember. Th- I, I mean, we saw it black and white TV. I think that was usual for the time because it took from 1983 to 1990 for Return of the Jedi to be on British terrestrial television. So I think these things just took ages anyway. Uh, they did, but um, George Lucas definitely had a, a thing about it because um, most films used to take about t- about two years, and they'd usually kind of like appear on TV, and then obviously videos came out, and then. It was still quite a long time then, but I said to remember a longer time for Star Wars. Remember, that was four years it took to get on TV. I remember when the Christmas adverts would come out. They would have a sort of compilation of films coming out at Christmas. I don't know, they'd probably come out in November or something, or early December. And when you'd see some Star Wars Empire or Jedi, it would just be like, Oh, yes! It's on again! Yeah, I remember on this day being sat down by my parents because they wanted me to watch this thing. And then I remember hiding behind my mum's back when the opening, lo- yeah, the opening crawl started, because I was terrified, and I think I got a bit more comfortable with the film when C-3PO went for an oil bath. How old are you, Grant, then? Ah, uh, man, I would have been, what was that, 1982, I would have been three. Three years old. Yeah. Rich, did you, have you been buying anything? I won two eight dims at the Vectus auction. I won um, a 65D Kenna R5D4, and I won a boxed Jabba Dungeon. And I've got quite a few modern bits and pieces that have arrived, but I'm not really interested in them, so that's just it for me. 
He really wants the listeners more than once, doesn't he? This is, is that a, it? This is a protest. It is. <laughs> Come on, Rich, you bought loads. Come on, there must be some bendums or something in there. Some no, I've got no books. bendums. I bought a hell of a lot of comics, a load of books that I still haven't got from the Legend series. Um, but I don't want to bore the listeners with that. Have you begun collecting mocks now, Rich? I own an R5D4 that's still in its packaging. Rich, are you <laughs> trying to say you're a non-mock collecting mock collector? I'm a non-mock collecting R5D4 collector. There's a subtle difference. Rich, is this oh, a non-focus focus? No, <laughs> oh, it's a focus. It's a focus non-focus. But surely if you have mocks in your collection, you'll be collecting more than one. You are thus collecting mocks. No, I'm collecting R5D4 items of which some may be in packaging. What about you, Stu, then, seeing that you stopped collecting six months ago? Have you added anything to your collection? Um, well, I haven't asked Pete yet, so I asked Pete. Yeah, but when you just ask me instead, that'd be good. I have, I've done a bit of a richer this month. <laughs> I've got a long list of stuff, but I'm not going to bore you all with my modern collecting. I've bought some vintage stuff, and funny enough, Stu, as you talked about comics, I have actually bought a load of comics this month. <laughs> I uh, picked up, which I should talk about later in the market section, I got a job lot of Return of Jedi comics, virtually all of them, apart from about 20, I think. I bought some off eBay as well, and I got some card backs off eBay. Some, there was a really good card back lot come up by um, a guy called Todd G. Iganti on the feed on the uh, Facebook and uh, bought a few Star Wars 20 back, 21 backs um, some Empire Strikes Back ones not in the, not, they're not in all in the best condition but uh, he had about 40 or 50 up for grabs but uh, I've got a few of those so that's my car back collecting coming on very very nicely I'm about halfway there now I think and my favourite item of the month had to be my pop-up comb my slave layer pop-up comb that uh, I got from our friends at Pop Toys. That is a really, really nice item. It's almost, it almost looks like it should be opened and played with. Oh, I like to comb my hair with my slave layer comb. But that's me done. But uh, if you want to talk about modern stuff, I bought tons. I've got a Star Wars joke. Here we go. What's the difference? What's the difference between Snaggletooth and Jez's comb? Uh-huh. Snaggletooth's got more teeth. <laughs> Snaggletooth's got more teeth. Yeah, yeah. that's just Pete's comb. They brought back to an earlier discussion. Stu, what have you been buying this month? I've added a 31-back Greedo for my Focus and a 77-back Chewbacca. I've also added three more Polish bootlegs. I'm starting to get in with them. I've now met a Pole, who has become my dealer for these. He sent me over a, a 9 num hand Solo and Chewbacca, and I love the Solo and Chewy. They are mental. The only other thing I've bought is my love affair of Sigma items. I've got the Chewbacca Money Box. And I plan to get all the money boxes of Sigma next. That is my next call on them. I just want to say a huge thank you to Ian Sanderson because he's been my middle man for all my Sigma stuff. And without him, I wouldn't be getting it all over here at the cost I am. So, big thank you, Ian. He's your Sigma pimp. Before I moved on, I wanted to ask you all a quick question. Um, We're five months down already this year. I was wondering if we could all just name an item that we will definitely own before Christmas. Now, it's got to be something that's plausible, not not your grail, but something that you will be adding. So, um, Rich? Right. I'm going to own a Sonic-controlled sandcrawler. Blimey. Right, OK. Pete? I would like to get somewhere, and I'm sure Ian will be the person who'll get it, a Luke Skywalker on a, you know, a mock. So it can be the Jedi one, it can be an X-Wing one, it doesn't really matter. I just want a Luke Skywalker mock somewhere. Okay, Jez? Well, I might surprise you to say I'm going to not go for a Luke X-Wing, and I want a Han Solo Carbonite, preferably on the Tri-Logo, because I prefer it 
outside the block than inside on the Power of the Force one. Nice, nice. Grant? I'm going to get every single issue of TV Times magazine, <laughs> <laughs> except for the week of 23rd to the 29th of October 1982, and failing that, I would like to have a Death Star droid on a Return of a Jedi card. What about you? I am going to get an Ewok battle wagon. What? A bit random, isn't it? Yeah. Is that, is that the new car? <laughs> we spoke about this about six, seven episodes ago, which I heard recently, and I state on there, I will get it at some point, but I would not be hunting for it, and I don't know, the last couple of weeks, I just feel like I need one. Yeah. Well, I just bought one a few um, last month or the month before. Did you not spot the one I got? No, you guys could race each other. How much do you pay for it, Rich? Uh, from memory, £65. Oh, not bad. So, I'll, I will keep a, I'll keep a close eye on this. Every couple of months we'll return to this and we'll see who uh, if we all tick our items off. But they're all manageable, aren't they? So Was that battle wagon fairly screen accurate, Rich? It's very screen accurate. Yeah, very. Does it actually come with any Ewok accessories from the film? Like, does it have part of the Ewok catapult on it or anything like that? Or is it just all made-up stuff? It comes with a ladder, and there, there are ladders in the film. <laughs> the battering bat ram. Well, there aren't ladders in the film. Where's well, the ladder? How do they climb the trees? Of course the ladders in the film. There is no Ewok ladders in the film. If you, if you have a look on the trees, aside the trees, there's ladders up beside the trees. I'm looking now, there's none. <laughs> Jez, now you have this month's question. I do, I do. I'm going to do something slightly different. Please don't deactivate me. Do it, Jez. Okay. Well, we've seen the recent stance, you know, the last few months on social media, Facebook, RS, Stars from UK regarding Say No to Repro, but very much like the old Just Say No campaign in the 80s with the children's TV show Grange Hill. If you don't know what you're saying no to, and if you don't know anything about it, then these slogans aren't really that good. So the topic of this month's question is going to be repros. Jez, you know, because we have an international audience, we should also say Grange Hill instigated it in the UK, but Ronald Reagan instigated it in America, or Nancy Reagan. Very good point. Thank you, our international uh, man of mystery, Mr. Criddle. Thank you very much. Are we ready? Rather than have a question or a quiz where we take it in turns to answer this, this time it's going to be a short, rapid-fire quiz and the first one to buzz in wins the prize. You're going to have to make a sound belonging to your podcast alter ego. Now, Grant, remind me who everyone decided you were. Salacious Crumb. Yes. Got to do the so your, Damn it. <laughs> your buzzer answer will be Salacious Crumb. Now, can you give me your best Salacious Crumb? <laughs> right. That's your buzzer. Like Rich? You're the tricky one, because remind everyone, what were you? Death Squad Commander, wasn't it? No, you were oh. Hammerhead. Oh. Hammerhead. Hammerhead. Having watched the film again, I think Hammerhead gives it a... <laughs> 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 right? <laughs> so that's the sound. Rich, can, can you give it a go, mate? <laughs> that was from the Clone Wars. Jesus. <laughs> that Geordie rapping. Way I pedal. Right, and Pete, you big wuss. Just remind everyone who you are. I'm Rancor Keeper, so I must be crying. Yes, you've got to make the sound of a crying man. Go on, give it a go. <laughs> Alright, well, last and definitely not least, Stu, you had two, didn't you? Yeah, Luke Bespin. And. <laughs> Romba. 
<laughs> right. So, I mean, the choice is yours, I'd say. You can give it your best Ewok, or I want to hear a really, really good... Or give it, yeah, that's not true, that's impossible. Whatever you want to do. Well, I'll have to go with Romba, as that's what everyone voted for me. It was only Luke yeah. that was my choice, so it'll have to be... It's a, a Jawa. It's a Jawa. That's a Jawa. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait there, one sec. Ewok. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. okay, so everyone's got their buzzers ready, yeah? Fingers dead brilliant. <laughs> right, so this is Repros, and pretty much all of this information, uh, in fact, I'm not going to tell you where I got it, because that's one of the questions. Right, is everyone ready to play? Ah, oh, who's left a floater? First of all, nice and easy. When concerned about repro items or to learn more. <laughs> yup nub! Right. I recognised a yub nub. Oh, I don't know what the rankle keeper was doing to himself. The rankle keeper can just stay away. Stu? That wasn't me, that was Grant. <laughs> it was it was it was me. I was we before that bloody yub nub. No no I heard it sounded like a rankle keeper having oh, some no. sort of special moment with his rankle. Oh, actually thinking about it, I think Grant was the one. <laughs> I think it was Grant, yeah. Grant's right, go on, Grant. The Imperial Gunnery Forum. No, whoa, 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 I'm not so convinced that that's a correct <laughs> answer. Did you see the Imperial Gunnery Forum? Because I would have thought oh. that's oh. imperialgunnery.com, not the forum. That's yeah. what I heard him say. Yeah, but it's, there's, it's on the forum as well. Who cares? Uh, there's, there's an entire, right. there's an entire section dedicated to it. I'm a bit annoyed that I was on given the answer, and then I was booted <laughs> out from the answering. Yeah, get out of there, Stuart. It's going to kick off. We're going to have a rebellion. Just because them three can't do their noises. <laughs> I, didn't, the I didn't even do a noise. You sound like right. yelping. Okay. I was too busy laughing. Let, let's just get, let's just say that that was a practice, okay? I need to tune myself into your special sounds. Right. For the bonus question, then, what is the imperialgunnery.com also known as? <laughs> Graham. Tig. Perfect. Right Whee. then, here we go. We're moving on. Name a simple test which is known to exist. To <laughs> that, <laughs> that was Richard. The float test. And can you explain that, please, Hammerhead? That is placing an item in a glass of water, and depending on the item, it'll either float, it'll sink, or it will settle on the top, and when you push it, it'll drop. You'd have to go to Tig's website to work out exactly what each accessory does. Why does it have to be Hang a glass? Hang on a second. Hang on yeah, a second. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm calling foul on that one. It doesn't yeah. have to be a glass of water. Any old, format old. of water in a, in a vessel. doesn't have to be glass. No, but I'm liking what you say, Rich, because... You didn't say that, you know, common misconception. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, if it sinks, it's repro, if it floats. No, you're absolutely right. Direct people to TIG because different things do different things. And, uh, and sometimes, obviously, you push them down, they float. Push them down, they sink. Um, yeah, always go to TIG. So, what other test? <laughs> I, I definitely got a salicious crumb there. Mr. Criddle, sir. You can drop it and listen to the noise it makes when you drop it on a hard surface. Yes, so the the drop kind of acoustic sound as well. Absolutely, it's like you can put it on your tongue and taste it as well. Hmm. Is this like the sniff in your Tie Fighter pilots? Yeah, <laughs> you could also you could also little tiny scratch see if someone's painted it. You could also use right. a light. Okay, I'm claiming points. I'm claiming points there. Like, <laughs> yes, uh, I'm right. I'm not shaking up nub. Yeah, too right. Me and Stuart can just kind of claim our own points. You can also right. bend it. You can also. Um, what was the other thing I was thinking of there? There is another one, but it's gone. 
And there are also, I mean, I said the simple ones, but there's also weighing as well. Yeah, that was it, weighing, yep. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I jumping on it again, Rich. Oh, <laughs> right, TIG often make references to an EPM. What does EPM stand for? <laughs> Grant. It's the thing that the Ghostbusters use to track ghosts. <laughs> is this the ejector pin mould I want to see it is? Ejector pin mark, yeah, absolutely. It's just the, um, you often see them on, on staffs in particular and, and, and weapons where it's, it's been moulded. Sometimes they've got two or three, so often they make reference to an EPM. Right, simple one. Ready? What is the excess plastic left over when the mould is... Yep, nope. Go on. <laughs> Go on, Hammerhead. It's flashing, flashing. And that's where the joins of the mould don't quite form perfectly. And depending on how the plastic is put into the mould, it will seep into those tiny micro-line um, fractures in the mould and, and, and cause excess flashing. Thank you very much. And Rich, was that someone at the door? Might just want to go and check that briefly. Right then. Um, <laughs> what weapons and accessories sink? <laughs> go on, Graham. Some repro ones, but not <laughs> <laughs> Is that your answer? Uh, some repro ones, randomly. <laughs> um, some lightsabers, but not all. Any more or not? Or, or, or yeah, let's definitely Stu. Well, let's Stu go for one. Go on, Stu. Um, I reckon... I reckon... Um, you like this one. I reckon Max Rebo's keyboard will sink. <laughs> <laughs> what, about, what about the Ewok battle ladder? Does that sink? <laughs> no, it floats, actually. I know that because I've cleaned them. The ladder floats. Right, well, some of the common ones, the first one which caught me out where I thought I had a repro and didn't was Tebow Axe. The original sinks in water, and one of the known repros actually floats. So that's just definitely one to be careful of. Um, Doesn't Yoda's cane, like, yep. drop, drop after a while? It kind of Because fl- I remember when I bought one off eBay off some nut job, and I got very upset because it was... It was uh, <laughs> it floated. It floated. I said, ah... I thought it was supposed to sink. Then it sinks after a while. It fills. It basically fills up. So the force, like a Gamgar's axe and a man star. Right then, I'm going to move on. One thing which I want to add to my collection, and I've told you, just keep an eye out for me when you get a farthest from the Y wing. Okay. Now, what's normally missing on the Y wing is the. <gasps> oh, oh. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> what's usually missing? Usually, all the back um, engine parts are all missing. So, no, I said what's what's usually missing is the bomb, and then we were going to talk about the repro side of it. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to have to take your first answer, I'm afraid, which was toilet. Um, right then, so often the bit that's missing is the bomb. How can you tell that your bomb is legit? <laughs> Go on. It's a different colour. Is it lighter or darker? I believe the repro is darker in the original as the lighter. Anyone else want to have a go? Yep, no! <laughs> go on, the Ewok. The original is darker. Yeah, the repro is a slightly lighter grey. Can we do um, all of Richard's answers, please? The big difference, the big difference, because how would you be able to compare it if there was only the one? The real bomb actually comes apart, where the repro ones, so far according to TIG, the repro ones don't come apart. So um, so that's a good top tip for you when you're out looking at Y-Wings. Now we're going to get into the meat of this. Everyone ready for the meat? The X-Wing cockpit canopy. Really difficult to tell the difference. Real ones weigh approximately 5.5 grams. Fake ones weigh, and I want this to within 0.2 of a gram. 
3.5. Yep, no. Yep, no. Was, <laughs> was that 3.5? Oh, it's going to be lighter, yeah. Uh, you, you are incorrect, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Mr. Hammerhead. I'm going to guess 4.1. Close, but no cigar. Go on, Mr. Rankle Keeper. Uh, 4.4. Yes, that's close enough. Approximately 4.5 yes. grams. So In the your face, face, Richard Hammerhead. The face, yeah. 25% lighter than the uh, genuine ones. That's the X-Wing cockpit canopy. Final two, X-Wing laser cannons. Right, Almost impossible to tell the difference. With regards to the float test, what would happen with X-Wing cannons? <laughs> Go on, Richard. Right, this is a complete guess here. I'm going to suggest that they stay on top of the uh, water, but when you push them, they sink. Yeah, well, what I've got pretty much word for word is repro will sink when submerged underwater. The real ones will always float. And a final one in the game of, ah, who's left a floater is speed bike flaps. What's the deal with these on a float test? Is that a <laughs> go, go on. Go on, Rich. What was that? <laughs> no, no, that was Richard. Uh, that wasn't me. Woo, 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 woo. It, it was a red Indian or something. Yeah, yeah no. Go on, yeah. That wasn't you. That was Grant's <laughs> Indian. Oh, I'm so confused. That wasn't even a noise. <laughs> Speed bike claps. Right, okay, this is winner takes all. Yup, no. Go on, Stu. What happens with speed bike flaps? They float. <laughs> <laughs> they sink. <laughs> what? Hang on a second. I need you to complete your answer. They what? float, then, oh. then they sink. What float? Flaps? The flaps. The, the retro ones float. Repro or original? Oh, original I see. Float. Oh, that's easy. The And repro float. They both float. There's a lot of floating. They both sink. Who's Ooh. got sinky flaps? At least it's going to be me or Grant the winner and not Rich. <laughs> what you should do is cut out all Rich's answers. The repro, the repro ones float. And? So do the original. Both of them do. It's like a bad that's lesson, what I said. You just said no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. No, both repro no, the re- repro's repro float, originals sink. Yeah. No one said that. Oh. That is the end of, ah, who's left a floater? Everyone's a winner. We're all winners, particularly when you check out TIG, I have to say. The last time I had a really good look at that website was about three or four years ago, and the information on there now just completely blew my mind. Thanks very much for the information provided on TIG. And that's the end of this month's question. Wonderful question, Jez. And let's just hope Rich has got everything factual in his answers. <laughs> exactly, otherwise we'd be cutting out all of his stuff. Right, let's move on to the vintage Star Wars news. Forgotten Kenner employees swag up for auction. When it comes to Star Wars accessories, should we ignore Trilogos? Shane Turgeon releases Book 2 of Force in the Flesh. Release date of Force Awakens figures announced. Star Wars Forum UK rebranded. 
Right then, Rich, a former Kenner employee has put up lots of items for auction. Can you tell us a bit more? Yeah, this is really exciting, this one, Stu. A representative from Max Webster Auctions, who are based in Ohio, posted a Facebook link to some credible items which have originated from phone mark and employee, uh, Dewey Shoemate, I'm probably um, butchering his name there, who was a supervisor of the department test lab for Kenner 1969-1987. Now, this guy has been known, known about for quite a while and, he, and he's one of the Kenner employees whose possible goodies has never ever been tracked down. So it's nice to see that this one coming out of the wild. In total, there are now 53 lots that have been um, posted online although there's a possibility that there will be 90 um, available in total. And these will be for auction on the 14th of June, although pre-bids can be registered now. What's exciting about the lots is some of the the items that's appeared. In particular, the the 4DT items are causing um, mass hysteria amongst some of the Facebook users. We have a, a DT bear who's an engineering pilot with a clear translucent saber, a DT Vader. We have a DT look, and we've also got a, a Ben which has a DT Vader outer saber. So, so those are the four items that are gone in the most interest. And quite a few people are asking about the clear translucent saber with regards to the Ben, trying to find out exactly what it is. Is it some of the very earliest DT saber designs, or is it something different? And I believe investigation is still going on to find out exactly what this saber is. But renowned DT expert Bill McBride has made it very clear that the mushroom tip saber DTs precede everything that we've seen so far. Although exactly what this is, we're not entirely sure. It's a probability that this comes just before the regular DTs that we see and it was just moulded in a clear plastic perhaps for test purposes or, or something along those lines. There are also a number of first shot items that are out. There's a few prototype first shot items. The blue snag seems to be the one that most people are getting excited about but there are other prototype first shots in that auction. We've got some Kenna baggy first shot and the cloud car pilot is the one that stands out from a mile because it has non-production weapons in the bag. So these are early weapons which are cast in black. The comlink and the blaster and there's some great pictures on the auctions website there's some loose engineering pilots and the various of those and then there's many oddball items such as Kenna rewards for long service I believe there's a couple of mugs for so many million dollars of toys being sold there's some test lab signages some toy fair catalogues from 1969 going pretty much all the way through to 85 there are some gaps and there's a few mocks in there as well so good luck to everybody bidding on those items I'm, I'm just really glad that things like this are still coming out so guys any of those items interesting you? All of them have these um, items got you said they're at an auction have these got estimates on them? The I have not got estimates on them, but when you go onto the auction, it will tell you what the current bid is. The DT Ben was by f- with a clear translucent saber was by far ahead of the others, and I think that was somewhere around about the two and a half thousand dollar mark. It's going to go for way more than two and a half thousand dollars, but that's where it was. I think the others are still hovering around the five dollar, ten dollar mark, mainly because as we're recording this, there's still almost two weeks to go before this auction closes. Rich, am I thinking? Because when I looked at it, they, the translucent sabers looked like the yellow uh, Luke Skywalker DT ones. Yeah, I know what you're saying. There's a couple of guys were saying that um, they've seen yellow ones in the past that have faded and have almost went see-through to look like this translucent one, but I don't recall who's denounced that, but it has been denounced on Facebook that it's it's definitely not one of the DT Luke sabers going see-through, for want of a better word. A couple of guys have asked about the provenance of these because obviously it's very, very difficult to approve this, and the story behind it's really quite interesting. Now, obviously, Max Webster can only take the family's word for it, 
but he was told that the family claimed to have a garage sale and they didn't sell. Can you imagine driving through Ohio seeing a seeing a toy f- uh, sale at, at somebody's house and bypassing all these items? Then when they were first presented for auction, the first auction house actually passed on them because they didn't think they'd make any money. So Max Webster um, picked them up and was hoping to get $100 from all of these items. So obviously they've been quite surprised. And then obviously they've started to do a little bit of research and they've discovered that provenance is a key to everything. Now most of the big guy collectors who've come onto the thread have said there is no better provenance than the name that this guy's given and the, the story that's been given beyond it. But that wasn't enough to satisfy all of the, the guys asking questions. And, and many of the guys have got legitimate questions, you know, they're saying, look, if we're dropping $10,000 on these items, we need cast iron guarantees that these are genuine items. And, and they've got a fair point, but a few guys, you know, got a little bit brutal and said, why aren't these offered, etc., etc. And, and I think Max Webster auctions are perfectly entitled to say, it's not up to us to offer them. If you want them offered, you send them off yourself and you pay for the fees. I believe that Max Webster auctions contacted offer to see if they're going to turn these items around, but the price in the short time that they quoted was quite high. Max Webster has driven down to meet somebody from CIB who has actually inspected some of these items, and I believe that quite a lot of COAs have arrived already to, to give prominence to these items. So any doubt at all that these aren't genuine, it, it should be over. Look forward to the auction, and congratulations to whoever wins them. Questioning weapon accessories in the tri logos. Yeah, this was a post on Source Form UK from I think it's pronounced Freightobite. He's posted the age old complaint about receiving Luke Stormtroopers with the wrong blaster. And he's he's noted a lot of eBay auctions are selling loose Luke Stormies that are going upwards for a hundred pounds and in his words are coming with the wrong blaster. Now he's correctly identified that these blasters should be black. And they should be in the one seam world, which is a thin stock and, and a rounded barrel end. As if, as if none of us knew that. You know, anybody says to me one C, I automatically go, yeah, that's the one with the thin stock and the rounded barrel end. However, it was interesting to know that one or two guys started posting quite quickly to say, actually, you know, we've got some carded Luke Stormtroopers and they don't have a black blaster. They've got the blue black blaster. And I think Ian Sanderson posted a photograph of two of his tri-logos. And then Walkie and Ozzy James responded quite rightly with a good rule of thumb. When it comes to accessories, you ignore tri-logos. How many times have we been down the Endor blaster route? Does it come with the blue one? Does the A-Wing pilot come with the grey one? We all know that the tri-logos were at the end of the line. It was a case of just pack them and get them out. However, seeing that, there's a lot more blue-black blasters are appearing on the tri-logos. And it seems apparent that these are coming from different parts of the world where they've been sold. And to date, on that thread, nobody has posted a single mock of a tri-logo with a black blaster. Now, that's interesting because for me, that makes it more than just a package and ever, which is what you might have spotted with some of these endo blasters. That could be a deliberate decision made to package the tri-logos with the blue black blaster. We are aware, obviously, that every power the force mock so far has come with the black. Is it a conscious decision, or is it something that we just don't have enough evidence for? So appeal, please, for our listeners, if anybody has a tri-logo Luke Stormtrooper with a black blaster, could you please send us a photograph so that we can have a look at it and put it on the forum? Or even better, a power the force with a blue black blaster. That would 
really opened some eyes up. It goes on with regards to the Tri Logos. There was something similar, wasn't there, with the Imperial Gunner. I know that people were saying, particularly when I first started collecting, that, oh yeah, on, on the Tri Logo, the uh, A Wing pilot and the Imperial Gunner, they, they didn't necessarily come with a Black Blaster. You know, they, they came with these, um, and I kind of got duped into uh, getting an A Wing pilot with the with this sort of bluey green blaster maybe yeah more and more, more things like that were happening on try logo it appears right so rich shane turgeon has released force in the flesh book two and you've got to chat with him let's have a listen to that well joining me today is none other than shane turgeon from canada uh welcome shane thank you very much for having me appreciate being here and I've got to say, Shane, it's not often that I'm lost for words, but I am in this situation because normally I say, welcome to authors, welcome to presenters, but I just can't describe Shane Turgeon because I go on your website and I see that you're an author, you're an appraiser, you're an inventor, you're an entrepreneur. How do you describe Shane Turgeon? That is a <laughs> that is a very hard question to, to answer. It's one of those things when everybody asks me, like, hey, what do you do for a living? I don't have an actual answer for that. Um, I guess entrepreneur is probably, um, and, and somebody who's, who's not lazy are the, are the best answers. Um, I own, uh, three businesses and I'm part owner of a fourth that I'm also the general manager of, uh, which is a large comic and entertainment expo that we put on here in town. You know, keep, keep myself pretty busy and engaged in all the things that I do. Wow. Never a dull day for you then, Shane, eh? Okay then, so before we go into the details of the Force in the Flesh Volume 2, which is obviously what you're on the show for, did the success of the first Force in the Flesh Volume surprise you at all, and did you ever dream of the need to write a second volume? Um, I always figured that there was going to be a second volume, and I kind of had it in my head that there may be a trilogy, though that that's still never, ne- not confirmed that that's going to happen, but... You know, success is a very hard thing to measure when you're on the other side of it and you're, and you're kind of immersed in watching it happen. And, you know, when, when you step back outside and you see that it was a completely DIY project that was, you know, 100% self-funded, self-distributed, self-marketed, self-promoted, and that we sold out of our run over the time, that is a, a huge degree of success. But as it's happening, it doesn't feel very successful because you're just so bogged down in the work. So it's kind of really hard to see the success of it when you're, when you're right in the thick of it. But I knew, you know, as I watched, you know, the first book do well, uh, and people really respond positively to it, when, you know, as, as the industry kept becoming more and more accepting of Star Wars and geeky tattoos, and seeing, you know, an entire generation of people who grew up on the internet and just thinking that it was totally a normal thing as opposed to when we started doing it and it was a very underground thing. It was just a natural evolution that there was going to be another book because the, the level of artistry and the level of, uh, you know, then the sheer, the sheer volume of tattoos that are being produced by people was, it was just, it was absolutely inevitable. You've nailed it for me there. The success of this book is the fact that we're still talking about this book so many years later. Big thing is that there are so many people who like want to be in, featured in the book. So I mean, I could probably just keep doing like more and more and more of them. But you know, you have to sell what you have first before you even can consider that. But yeah, it's crazy. You know, like I've I've been recognized in places that I never expected to be recognized, especially as an author. You're not really like a, a visible face. But people are like, hey, are you the guy who wrote that book? I was like, um, yes. <laughs> It's been an, an overwhelming and fulfilling endeavor, and I'm, and I'm just humbled and honored to be able to do it. 
Okay, so moving on to the Force and the Flesh 2. Do you see this book as a celebration of tattoos, or does it have a wider appeal to incorporate fans of a wider artistic nature? Uh, it's definitely, you know, it's going to draw in the people who are interested in tattoos first and foremost, but to be perfectly honest, I view it as an art book. Um, it's not just tattoos in the book. We feature a lot of paintings and designs from uh, all of the artists who are featured in well as well. Uh, so it, it really is like a celebration of Star Wars art in just a very different way than people are used to seeing. So I, I, I very much view it as, a, as an art book as opposed to a tattoo book. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about the book then? How do you intend for it to be used? What it, what's its cover type, number of pages, etc.? Well, it's, it's to be used just simply as to enjoy it. The unfortunate thing about ta- the tattoo industry and, and the tattoo scene, especially with the, prolifer- of the proliferation of the Internet, is that everybody thinks that their the designs are theirs to use, and that's not the case. Every tattoo that's in this book and that you see anywhere on the Internet is somebody's original design. That doesn't mean that you should be able to go and get that exact same tattoo because it's it's not meant for you. It was meant for somebody else. You can do something similar. You can put your own take on it. So I have a disclaimer right at the book that says this is not a catalog. This is not a book for you to pick out designs and take to an artist who should know better. There are artists who, who would never copy somebody else's work, and there are artists who do. And um, it says right at the beginning, like, don't be a dick. This is, this is, we don't want you copying stuff out of this book. But aside from that, you know, it, it's just a, it's a huge, full-color hardcover, 312 pages, which is over 100 pages larger than volume one. The quality of the photographs, you know, just digital photography has increased in the last eight years since doing the first book. So the photos are, are, are that much better. The cover is an embossed cover that in the artworks done by Adam Hayes, who's a very, very well-known tattoo artist. The first quarter of the book is about tattoo collectors. So people who aren't artists, but who are, have a huge passion for Star Wars and have dedicated a large amount of their skin Two-thirds or three-quarters of the book is all about tattoo artists who have been uh, heavily influenced by Star Wars. Each person who's featured has a about a 250-word bio that just tells you know a, more, a bit more about them and their, their love of Star Wars and, and a bit about their life. So you get to, an introduction into, to see who these people are behind the Star Wars tattoos as well. Yeah, that's the hook for me. I think the interest uh, for me is, is the artist behind it and the story uh, and how they've got involved in it and, and, and their creations. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I always, you know, people look through the book or they buy the book and they're like, oh, I got the book. It's beautiful. Wow, it's so good. And sometimes I'll get messages from people a couple of weeks later and they're like, I sat down and read the book and it's really good. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's, that's kind of my part of it is the writing. You know, it, it always I always really appreciate it when people are so interested and really do love the writing. And um, in this volume in particular, I'm, I'm especially proud of the introduction that I wrote. Uh, I have been told by some people that it's the best thing I've ever wrote. I'm not sure if that's the case, but it's, it's something that speaks from my heart and uh, about a story um, that uh, happened with Robin Williams, who ended up getting um, a copy of the first book just before he passed. I touched briefly on that and how it was, it's, it's such an, a, a crazy feeling to have maybe put a smile on somebody's face who had has entertained the world at a time that he didn't really feel like smiling. And to know that your work has that kind of an impact on people or can have that kind of an impact is uh, incredibly rewarding. Um, it's interesting, something you just said there. Um, I was talking to Matthias last month about his book, and he mentioned on his that he could all that things like the fonts so that he could avoid people reproducing these uh, proof cards and things from his book. You can't do that because you're showcasing these high quality tattoos from other people's work. I didn't think of the people ripping them off. I never, I never even, that thought never even entered my mind. Does, does that really happen? 
Uh, all the time, all the time. Wow. Um, you know, I, I, a good friend of mine who is just featured, she's also featured in the book. Her name's Kate Green. She just posted on Instagram the other day how somebody like just straight up stole her design and tattooed it on somebody else. And then when she called her out on it, the other person had the nerve to be like, wow, somebody just attacked me on the internet for my art. It's like, are you kidding? You just jacked somebody's idea, like stole it blatantly. It happens all the time. And you know, that's the, the really unfortunate thing about the tattoo industry is a lot of the honor and a lot of the code that, you know, stuff that you just didn't do. There's an entire new generation of people who either just don't care or just don't know. And they have no qualms doing that kind of stuff. And it's it's really unfortunate to see. OK, so you've discussed many times in interviews on other podcasts how you photograph these tattoos from different angles to present it in a 2D format suitable for the book. But I haven't heard a lot about the text, which is obviously from your earlier answers or something that you're really proud of. How difficult is it to write the accompanying text in a way that's going to appeal to the ever-growing tattoo market and yet keep it relevant for the larger mass market? You know, the writing is is the hardest part for me. Um, you know, even as a writer, the writing process is painful. And I think every writer would say that, that uh, that's the hardest part. Uh, the real challenge for me in the book is, you know, generally everybody's level of Star Wars interest is kind of the same. And a lot of the ways that they got into Star Wars is the same. They saw it as a kid. They loved the art of it. They got into the art books. And it's hard to see, like, you when you conduct your interviews, you get a lot of the same answers. So you have to kind of, like, find a little loose thread in something that they've said and then go back and re-interview them and pull further on that thread to make it, to, to get something that's a little bit different. Um, so that you can make everybody's individual stories unique to them so you're not just saying the same thing over and over. So I find that's the challenge in when you're when you're interviewing 60 different people and you're getting a lot of the same answers to make the book fresh so you can tell a completely different story. And, and I don't know, I, I really think we accomplished that with Volume 2 in particular. There's some absolutely phenomenal stories in this book. Most of the books that we researched recently are far bigger than any one man's input. Did you receive assistance from others in this book? And if so, what did they bring to the table? Oh, absolutely. Um, Jeff Carell is the designer of the book, both Volume 1 and Volume 2. And Jeff's heart and soul are in these books as well. Um, the entire visual appeal of this book is all through Jeff. Um, there is no understating that. He, is, he has been a phenomenal part of this project from day one. So Jeff especially is you know, the, the biggest level of input for it. Um, Adam Hayes doing the cover art was, you know, just a, a really nice bonus for us. But beyond that, you know, there there are lots of other people who help at various levels, whether it's through the printing company, the staff there are always great to work with, um, and then dealing in transport on logistics. And there's there are so many variables that pop up. And the nice thing about knowing so many people in so many industries is that somebody's willing to help you in an area where you might not have have any experience and there are so many people that I can't even begin to thank for helping me through through the process on this one. Do you think that your experience from the first book that you published to now is completely different? Absolutely. Um, even just in terms of my life, you know, my life kind of 180 during that time and I I kind of had to start from scratch and, and relearn who I was and in yeah. relearning who I was, you know, that a lot of that is evident, I think, in the new book and in the writing as well. I may be writing and coming at it from a different perspective than I was before, especially, like I said, in the introduction and stuff like that. And, of course, the experience in how to produce a book that I learned was invaluable with the first one and allowed me to avoid a lot of mistakes with the second one. 
But in trying to get to a larger distribution network, I've made a few more mistakes. And so I have learned a lot more. If there's going to be another book, you know, there's been a lot of experience from this one to help save me from some of those pitfalls again. So I believe that there's a deluxe version of this book, which is available for ordering. Uh, how does this differ from the normal release? So the book is actually the same. It's a deluxe set that I put together. So I had a, a handful of volume ones left with one of my distributors that I that I took back. And so we've encased a volume one and volume two in a beautiful embossed slip case. Um, and then this set comes with five prints from five of the artists who are featured in the book, as well as a signed book plate um, that's signed by myself, Jeff Carell, and Adam Hayes, the cover artist. And it's printed on this beautiful parchment paper. Um, and the art on the um, on the book plate is kind of like a our little tribute to Ralph Macquarie. It features Adam's early kind of concept sketching for the cover, and uh, it's just it's a really beautifully packaged set, and it's a it's a really great set for anybody who doesn't have Volume One in particular. You worked very hard to improve the stereotypical image of tattoos through education and organizing some great events. Do you think we've reached the point now where tattoos can be accepted in the mainstream? It's just another expression of artistic pride. It's really amazing to have watched in the last 10 to 15 years the mainstream acceptance of tattoos. And whether that's through, you know, all of the books that are out there or the television shows in particular that have really helped break those barriers down to make people think, oh, well, it's just you're just getting a tattoo. Now, now they're so commonplace that it's um, our, our bread and butter, even at our shop, is is less people coming in for large work and people just coming in for small tattoos. So. You know, I, I still don't recommend people, you know, getting their hands and their necks tattooed right off the bat because as as accepted as they are, that's still kind of an employment killer. Um, and we do try to talk people away from doing that. But overall, I think that it's a very accepted thing now. The very first event that you're involved with the celebration, um, how did the idea for the first tattoo um, exhibition come on? It was a, kind of a, just a, a genesis of everything that was happening at the time. I had started the website tattoosandtoys.com, which was you know, the first archive of them. The first version of that was on a different website, and we launched that in 1999, and it became its own website in 2002. And I honestly launched that site about a month before Celebration, Celebration 2 in Indianapolis. At C2, I was kind of walking around with these, like, homemade business cards that had the website information on it, and anybody that I saw who had visible Star Wars tattoos, I was like, hey, you know, here's my card. Come check out this website and send us your pictures and stuff. You know, I, I met so many great people, and I realized that there was a there was a burgeoning community here. And uh, I had also got hooked up with Star Wars Insider, so a lot of things just kind of started flowing from there. And I proposed to Steve shortly after celebration. I said, "Hey, you know, we've we've got a lot of people in this community, and you know, it would be really cool if we did a Star Wars tattoo competition." And Steve was like, "Yeah, you know what? That's a great idea." So for Celebration Three, we decided to have just a little exhibit where we had some paintings and some artwork on display, and people were getting really excited about it. And that was where they could come register for this competition. The competition was so well attended, people loved it, it was huge, and we knew that we had something. We also did some of the principal photography at Celebration 3 for the book, and by Celebration 4, we knew we were releasing the book there, and we were going to do the same thing with the competition and have the exhibit. Throughout Celebration 3 and Celebration 4, we kept being asked, oh, I thought there was going to be tattoos here, I thought there was going to be tattoos here. And by the time Celebration 5 rolled around and it landing in Orlando, Florida, which was the backyard of Mark Draven, who runs Ink Fusion events, um, which is basically, you know, live tattooing at uh, comic and entertainment conventions. It was just a natural fit to work with him because he was already in place with the health board. He had already was working with Reed, who's the convention who works with or the company who works with Lucasfilm putting on the conventions. And uh, it was just a natural fit to work with him. So then we started incorporating the live tattooing, which we've been doing now at all of the Celebration events since Celebration 5. 
you know, we've done art shows and, and art auctions for Make-A-Wish and all sorts of stuff over that time period. And it's just been a phenomenal process to, to be a part of on the ground level and to watch grow to the level that it has been. You've put the hard work in there, Shane, haven't you? Certainly it's celebration too. You've, you've really went to town pushing this and, uh, it must be nice for you to, to see what you've built up over time with the help of a lot of other people as well. But you have been one of the big inspirations behind it. I would certainly say in the UK, a lot of us will consider the Star Wars tattoos as big as some of the other huge events you get to celebrate such as the R2 Builders Club, which is um, the 501st areas. It's it's to that level. It's such a big thing, and everybody has to go and check them out. Yeah, it's it's become such a huge draw now for us for the, and for the convention. We had 45 tattoo artists this year in Anaheim, and they were going nonstop. Like they were, it was it was so busy, and so it's. It's very clear that people have come to expect this now and they're, they're coming out and they know that they're going to get a Star Wars tattoo from a Star Wars fan because we're not bringing in non-fans. We're bringing in the people who love Star Wars just as much as everybody who's there. So it's a really phenomenal experience for everyone. Where can our listeners go to find more about this book and to hopefully place an order? You can buy it directly from us on theforceintheflesh.com. But um, for those people who are listening in the States, and I'm obviously around the world too, the book should be arriving to Amazon this week. So hopefully we have all of the kinks sorted out with Amazon and we'll be able to sell them by the end of by the end of this week on Amazon as well. And for our UK friends, uh, I will be at the Cardiff Tattoo and Toy Convention at the end of July. So I will be there selling copies of the book so you can come out and say hello and get them signed and a week later i will be at a as of yet unannounced star wars event it's uh so it's the first weekend of august also in the uk and i'm sure that you will have more details on that event as it gets announced so oh excellent that's insane and one of our co-podcasters grant criddle he lives near cardiff so i'm sure it'll be quite easy for him to pop along and have a chat Um, well it's it's a great convention there's it's world-class tattoo artists there and as well as toys i mean what for me especially like what what more could you ask for vintage toys and and cool stuff and great tattoos so finally before you go um i've saw a lot of photographs of your your dogs online and nisa is the one is it is it pronounced nisa nisa yeah. yeah yeah she's named after the ewok princess from the animated cartoons does nisa make a cameo anyway and if not why not <laughs> She should. Um, I, the only mention of the, the, both my dogs, I have two, Quinn and Nisa, they got, they get thanked at the beginning of the book in the thank you section. And at the end, I have a, a mention, um, that if you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, you can, and I have my Instagram handle, but I also say that all you're going to see are pictures of my dogs. <laughs> There's not going to be a lot of Star Wars tattoo stuff. Maybe one day I'll do a book just on my dogs. <laughs> That's brilliant, Shane. Thank you very much for joining us today, and we'll put links to all of your uh, Amazon pages and the forceintheflesh.com and everything we've got on all of our social media. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure chatting with you, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody in the UK next month. Rich, the date of the Force Awakens figures has been announced. Can you tell us a bit more? For many of our listeners, um, they're not really going to care about modern items, but I think it's always nice to know that Star Wars is going to be available for sale in the shops. And when you're being dragged around the shops by your kids, what you've got to think of is, this is their Star Wars. So in 20 years' time, you might harken back to this moment. But as Disney have announced on uh, their website and many other media, Force Awakens toys will be available to buy from September the 4th. Now, has anybody seen any of the packaging yet? Did, did the Anaheim guys in particular, did see any of that over there? No, there was nothing over there at the time. There was only a few logos on boxes. I picked an empty box from uh, a supplier with uh, the Force Awakens logo on it. But no, but remember, it's not just toys. It's lots of stuff, books and all sorts, that's coming out on that date. They're doing a real... 
cross-brand promotion. Packaging that I've noticed, very, uh, I'm going to say Sith-like, all the packaging I've seen so far. It's very red, it's very black. There's a lot of sinister to the packaging. Do you guys picked up on that? And if so, what do you think the reason for this is? Just looks like the uh, episode one packaging to me, mate. Oh yeah, I thought it was real lack a punch. I was hoping for something really vintage. Yeah, yeah, well, not not just vintage, but just a real sort of like you know a bit of a different tack. I mean, there's been some really nice car backs over the ranges in the last kind of few years, but there's also been some really poor and bad ones. It looks like like a bit like the lightsaber swish from the power force a little bit. It's a bit yes, yeah, lackluster. Yeah, I think a lot of the Modern Hasbro stuff has got a certain element of tack to it. Every now and then, like the, the 2004 Vintage Collection, and I think those the one that they released with the Ralph Macquarie concept art figures, those packagings are really inspiring, but for the most yeah, the part, it looks like something that is mass-produced. Yeah, the um, uh, 30th anniversary collection yeah. stuff, uh, some of the Saga ones are really nice with the, the kind of image on the background. I, I think they need to... I mean, I mean that might just be a kind of a, you know, a concept they brought out, but I think they need to try a bit harder if, that, if, if they're going to release it on that and the cards are going to be the Kylo Ren kind of... About the Darth Moore face was with just maybe a small picture. I think it's going to be really disappointing. Same old stuff in there, same old... Right, okay, well, it's a good job you said that, Pete, because you're leading me into my question now, and this is just for you. Okay, would you buy the Varicus Fiend stretch-marked Princess Leia if you saw it on September the 4th hanging up on the shelf? Yes. Marvellous. Rich, here's a question for you. Yeah. I, I heard rumours that they were going to hold back on the novelisation of the book until after the film was released to not blow the uh, the script, and now they're releasing figures four months early. I mean, is this just the stuff that you see in the trailers, or they just release in the entire film? That's a good point, that Grant. I'm expecting them only to release what we see in the film and perhaps some of the items in Vanity Fair. I think they will hold back some kind of, you know, like what they did with the Yoda and with the Ewoks back in the vintage days. I think they'll hold back some surprises, but... You could already do a lot. Like you could, I mean, you could do an entire wave, couldn't you? You could have... Yeah. You have BB-8, you have Han Solo, Chewbacca, you could even have the droids, unless they haven't, they've haven't. they been modified, I don't know, but uh, you have Kylo Ren, you know, and you, I mean, you can have the guy in the Stormtrooper suit, you can actually have a, a quite a decent range of what we've seen in the trailer, to be honest with you, I mean, you yeah. don't have to spoil anything than what we've already seen, but uh, I'm missing half-decent figures, I mean, I'm sure they're not going to have a Prince Leia figure, I would think that those leaked concepts we got quite a while ago would probably be it. <laughs> And finally, Star Wars Forum UK has had a bit of a facelift, Rich, hasn't it? Yeah, it certainly has, and, and what a storm it caused. Ed basically posted um, a thread up there after the change had happened, because we all, we all thought that uh, the forum was down, and we were going, oh my god, what's going on? It was updated for so long, and guys of our age, we, we don't like change. We, we really don't like change. And, and then we got presented with the new Star Wars Forum UK um, user interface, and Ed's, Ed made it quite clear that he hadn't changed the user interface for, I think it was about six years. And due to security issues, he was more like forced to do the the new upgrade. And, and once it happened, we all went, oh, we hate it, we don't like it, we want to go back to 1977, we want to collect Star Wars toys. We, we don't like change, Ed, sort it out. So so thankfully, um, Ed put a feedback thread on there and said, you know, let us know what you like, well, let us know what you don't like, and, I, and I'll fix what I can. And I've got to say that a month later, down the line of using the new interface, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Little extra um, things that we've asked for, like changing the notifications to orange, perhaps highlighting certain points, making some some things a little bit shorter, switching the 
the usernames back to the left when they were on the right. Just little things like that has made it so much easier. And, and I think it's a much better, much cleaner interface. And if you haven't checked it out yet on your phone, check it out on your phone because it blows. I can't remember the name of the Rebel Scum one now. Is it Tapper Talk? And Tigs is—I I don't like Tigs mobile interface at all. But if you if you use stores from your K1 on your mobile, it's absolutely fantastic. It's quite clearly geared for mobile interfaces. Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son. Now, I want to give a warm welcome to a collector whom without we wouldn't have this podcast or the best forum in the collecting world. He's a huge Trilogo fan and founder of Star Wars Forum UK. Chatting with me tonight is no other than Ed Grant. Good evening, Ed. Hi, Stu. Thanks for having me on. Wonderful. Yeah, it's great to finally get you on. Yes, yeah. It's been a long time coming. Now, you're the founder of Star Wars Forum UK, which started in 2006, but I believe there was another forum before this. Is that right? Uh, so yeah, the uh, the very first version of Star Wars Forum started in uh, 2005 in December. Um, it's it was only online for a couple of months because I completely screwed it up and lost everything. Um, so I, I started it up as most forums do. I didn't have my own hosting or anything. I just started it on one of these free forum hosting sites, um, which I think I think like the one Tig used to be on. Um, so th- that's what I first started on uh, with, and then when I realised it was taking off, I tried to transfer the whole thing over to a proper uh, proper website, and I lost everything. So I'm uh, I'm very grateful that everybody came back again because there are a lot of, as you can probably imagine, quite a few uh, annoyed people. When you lost it all, you didn't think about oh, sod it. <laughs> uh, uh, it did cross my mind because there, there was already, even though it had only been going for six months or so, there were already tens of thousands of posts. So yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was uh, it was definitely uh, an eye opener. Uh, I was quite uh, yeah quite upset about it at the time. So, what was it that inspired you to create it in the first place? Because obviously, I should think it takes up a lot of free time. Uh, yeah, so the, the, uh, it's basically because I, I'm a, a website developer by trade. That's what that's what I've, be, I've been doing for the last ten or so years. And um, I just finished uni when I um, when I set up Star Wars Forum. So it was kind of a, a personal project to try and. Um, make a forum. I, I obviously had no idea whether it would take off or wh- whether anybody would join it. Um, I was I was aware of Rebel Scum, but especially at the time, it was very much American. There weren't really many people from the, or, although there were people from the UK and Europe on it. It, it was it was pretty much all about Kenner and America. 
So I thought it would be a good idea to set up a UK-based forum. Um, I didn't re- I didn't know about Imperial Outpost at the time. That was fairly popular back then, apparently, but I'd, I'd never found it. Um, so yeah, I just uh, I just decided to put my newly found skills into pra- into practice and make a uh, make a forum. The forum now has just short of three thousand users. Did you ever believe it'd grow as much oh, yes. as it has? Uh, absolutely no idea. And I mean, it's um, it's kind of slowed down over the last few years. But the most amazing thing to me was how quickly it took off. It, within a within a matter of uh, weeks or months, I had hundreds of users and people, you know, tens of dozens of posts every single day. So I, I I was really amazed that it took off in the first place, and then how quickly it kind of uh, uh, snowballed into something quite big. So when you originally set it up, what kind of what initial expectations did you have? Uh, oh, absolutely nothing. It, it was really just a practice ground for me to have a go at making a forum. Um, so yeah, it, uh, I was I, I was I was as with most you you'll probably notice if you have if you ever look online for dead forums, they tend to be full of posts by the administrator, and that's what mine looked like for the first couple of mu- first couple of weeks. I, I was just making lots of posts to try and entice people into joining, um, but yeah, luckily it didn't stay that way. So how much time a week do you have to put into the forum? Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, luckily, because of my job, uh, I, as I said, I'm still in web design, so I'm pretty much online tw- uh, 24 hours a day. So I, I, I check the forum fairly often, probably as, as much as anybody does. Even though, even though I'm not one of the biggest posters, I'm on there a lot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I certainly spend a few hours a week on there, whether, even it, whether it's just keeping an eye on things to make sure nothing is getting out of hand or occasionally doing some, you know, some tweaks. Um, so, yeah, uh, it takes up a bit of time, but may- maybe not as much as people would think. Is there many overheads with it? Um, it luckily, because, again, because of my job, I kind of have quite a few websites anyway. So there are overheads involved in running a website or a forum, but um, I, I kind of tack it on to everything else I do. So for me personally, um, not really. That's, what, that's actually what, that's one of the reasons I don't really do any donations or anything like that, because um, it, I, I'd, be, I'd be pocketing the money myself, basically. I, I, I already spend money running clients' websites, so I, 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 I don't really need to spend anything extra on Star Wars Forum. Now, the forum has recently undertaken a bit of a facelift. Um, yes, that's right. And I have to say, the interface is far more user-friendly when using things like my iPhone and my iPad. Um, that's good, yeah. So what were the main reasons for the change? Um, well, the main reasons were that every time I logged into the admin panel, there was a great big red error telling me that I had to update, um, which nobody else on the forum would have seen apart from me. But um, as uh, the, the last time I upgraded the forum software was, I think, in 2009 or 2010, which is obviously a very long time ago. Um, and the version the version that was running wasn't supported anymore, so I I either I could have left it running as it was, but the main problem for me was the fact that it didn't work on mobile devices like iPhones and iPads, and that that's something I really wanted to sort out. So that was it was a combination of the two: firstly, wanting to make it mobile friendly, and secondly, wanting to um, get rid of those annoying warnings when I logged into the admin panel. The things like sometimes the some of the forum members are forty-ish and a bit set in their ways. Does their reaction sometimes uh, frustrate you? Uh, no, to, but to be honest, it's something I'm used to every day in, in, in my job as a web de- developer. It happens whenever anybody updates a website. People hate change, you know, so it's, uh, it's something that anybody that maintains websites is used to. And um, you just have to convince people to stick around because within a, f- within a few days they'll have forgotten about it. I'm sure by now everybody has uh, probably forgotten what the old template looked like. So, yeah, you just need to not get, not get, not get offended by it and encourage people to persevere, basically. Yeah, exactly. Regarding running the forum, what would mm-hmm. you say are the best and the worst parts of it? Um, well, the best thing is obviously meeting all the people. Over the years, um, I, I went to the first Celebration Europe back in 2007 and met loads of forum members there. 
um, yeah, that's the, that's the best thing. I've met loads of great people, like um, uh, a few. Joe's been a really great guy. Um, Dom, who, as I said, doesn't really visit anymore, but like, a while ago, back in the original days, I, I used to hang out with him quite a lot. Um, yeah, I've met dozens of people off the forum over the years, so that's been really cool, and I, that, that's no doubt contributed to my collection as well because it's uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's a great way of networking, meeting people on the forum. There isn't really a worse side to it. I really I really enjoy it. Um, it it's kind of a shame when people start arguing, um, and I must admit I do myself sometimes. It's quite hard. So, so it's quite hard for us to keep the moderator hats on sometimes and try not to get involved in um, in arguments, but. Um, that's the only real downside to it. But other than that, I, I enjoy it. There's not really uh, there's not really a dark side to it. I love the forum, as I know the um, the rest of the podcast team does. So, uh, oh great! Long may you keep up the great work. Yes, yeah, hopefully. Now you were also the host of another collecting well, I say collecting website, but JediCollection.co.uk. That's right. Yep. Which was more to showcase your own collection, I believe. Um, exactly, yeah. So the, 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 I, I started making that in about uh, shortly after the forum, actually. So about 2006. Um, it was really, yeah, just a place to put up all of my my collection because at the time there weren't many places where you could go and look at lots of photos of carded figures. So I decided to put it up, partly to keep track of my own collection, but also to let people have a look at, um, uh, you know, to, to have somewhere they can go and look at lots of nice carded figures because, yeah, there, there, there weren't many places you could do that back then. Um, so yeah, uh, I used to quite enjoy doing that. Is it is it still live and active? It, it's still live. Um, I haven't updated it since two thousand and seven. So it's it's kind of like a um, a, fro- a frozen in time moment, uh, which is which is a uh, a bit of a shame. But uh, yeah, it, it's still up if people want to take a look at it. It's still got all the photos on there. I suppose eight years of uh, updating would be quite quite a big job to undertake. <laughs> well, I'd have to start from scratch. Yeah, I, I, I think. I probably only own two or three of those figures now, so that it would be uh, pretty much starting again. I might do it one day. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll see. You've been brought up with the forum and whatnot, but um, what do you make of the Facebook groups? Um, I think they're, they're, they're pros and cons. Um, I, I'm, I'm members of lots of forums actually, not just Star Wars, but I'm, I'm members of, I'm a member of car forums, music forums, and Facebook has pretty much killed most of them off. So I'm actually. I'm I'm, it's, I'm very pleased to see that it hasn't completely killed off the Star Wars forums because some other areas it's 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 killed it. Um, so I, I think it's great that you can obviously you've got a much bigger audience because um, it's you've got people on there aren't just Star Wars collectors you've got lots of casual collectors I, I guess you could say that kind of fall into it. Um, and I've I've managed to pick up a few nice pieces off there on there on there that hadn't been offered on the forums so that's been good. You're only 33, I believe, is that correct? That's right, yeah, 33. So, so I'm not, certainly not one of the older collectors. An 82 baby, is that correct? Uh, 81. 81, so yeah. That's quite late for a Star Wars fan. That's right, yeah. Toys as a, as a youngster. How did you get into Star Wars and when did you first see the movies? Um, the, my, I, I first saw the films on telly. I never saw any of them in the cinema. Um, I've, I, I can remember seeing all three films on TV in the 80s. I can't remember exactly when, but it must have been... Mid, mid to late 80s, I guess. Um, I think the, the main reason I got into the toys was because my, um, my, one of my older cousins, Will, um, I was in hospital in 1985, um, and he bought me a Han Hoff and a speeder bike, um, which, which, that was my first introduction to Star Wars, so that, that's how it all started, really. So you, you, you had the toys as a child? That's right, yeah, yeah, I was, I was a big, um, I, I wouldn't say collector, more of a kind of... Um, Destroyer back in those days because I was because I was quite young I was I was one of these kids you see that tra- trash their toys and uh, don't really look after them but yeah I I had quite a lot and I yeah have have great memories of it 
Actually, I've got a recollection somewhere. I think I've seen a photo of you as a youngster with a, a smashed up um, falcon. That's right, yeah. There's a picture on the forum of me and my two brothers with uh, quite a large Star Wars collection in pieces. You know, the uh, the Scout Walker's got no legs and the Falcon's missing half the parts. That We didn't really look after our toys, which uh, is probably why they all ended up at the the, 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 the dump rather than in a, in a collector's hands. <laughs> and uh, whilst I've been snooping about, I found out that your first mock that you got um, when you started collecting was a Luke X-Wing pilot on a Star Wars card. That's right, yeah, it wasn't the very first, but it was certainly the first impressive one I had. I think the very first one I got was a Trilogo Klaatu, um, which was um, even, you know, it's nothing special now, and it wasn't special anything special back then either. But yeah, the first, the first serious carded figure I bought was that Luke X-Wing, and that was, um, I think I was only about 14 or 15 at the time, so that was many weeks' worth of saving to buy that. Do you know how much you paid for it at the time? Uh, yeah, I paid 100 quid for it, which um, in, in, it was either 94 or 95, I can't remember exactly, but back then that was kind of as much as you would pay for a carded figure. I never saw one more expensive than that until uh, into the 2000s, probably. That's incredible that it was holding that kind of value even then. That's right, yeah, it's, it's actually one of the, probably one of the only figures that's not worth much more now than it was then. <laughs> Always a way. Have, have you yeah. still got the card? I have, yes, yeah. Thankfully, um, uh, it, it, it's one of the ones that was that was stolen um, a while back. But luckily, it's one of the ones that I got back. So I, that that uh, yeah, I've as I've owned that for near, around twenty years now. It, it's um, although it doesn't really fit into my collection, I'd never sell it. According to what I found out online, your brother paid half of it with you. That's right. Yeah. So my younger brother Fred. Um, we, as I said, we were all really into the toys when we were when we were kids. I was actually the oldest, so my my two younger brothers were only two or three when we were playing with Star Wars toys. Um, but we we all really loved them as kids, and yeah, I, ma- I managed to, as the older brother often does, I managed to convince my younger brother to um, start collecting with me in the nineties and put his pocket money towards it as well. Um, so yeah, until until about the late nineties, uh, pretty much everything we had was was fifty fifty. So we used to we we kind of had a joint collection back then. Does he, um, did he make you buy his half out? I did, yes, yeah. Um, in a, um, I can't remember when exactly, but yeah, I, I did eventually um, give him some money to, to, to make them mine. Um, he probably could have done better out of it if he'd sold them himself, but um, I, he kind of lost interest, you know. I, I don't think he really cares about them now. No, so he doesn't actively collect anymore, he's not? No, no, unfortunately. It would be, yeah, I'm the only one in the, in the family that still collects toys. Moving on a little bit, in I've got down here, in, in 2006-2007 you posted yep. quite a few limelights on the forum, obviously yes. starting out, I should think you were, um, like you said earlier, putting a few posts out. Um, That's right. All the, all the runs are extremely impressive. Now, I Thanks. believe you had a complete figure run of mocks of, of each character, is that correct? I did, yes. So I think, I think in 2007 I finally figured, uh, sorry, finally finished the run of every uh, every production figure on a card so not not a not a particular brand palatoy or kenner lots of uh, a big mixture i even had some things like lily leddies and um uh, Meccanos and things like that so it was a real mishmash but yeah i did i did eventually have a, a full set of characters which was my initial aim when i set out in the mid 90s that's quite impressive how long did that take to put together uh well yeah 10 10 11 years quite a long time um it was um it, it i i I probably got about half of them before the internet and then about the other half after the internet. So I had a fairly decent collection um, before before eBay and things like that came around, all bought from shops. Pre-internet must have been quite difficult to pick these up, but they came from shops, did they? 
Yeah, I, I was actually very lucky. So I lived in Bournemouth and Poole when I was a kid, and um, within about, uh, obviously I couldn't drive at the time because I was only a teenager, but within a couple of miles there were actually three places that sold vintage Star Wars. Um, I started out just buying loose figures, as everybody did, uh, did, but eventually I started buying carded figures. And yeah, really luckily I had three sources of carded figures quite close to me. So although at the time I couldn't afford any of uh, most of them, uh, they, they were I had a steady supply to pick up as and when I could afford them. And I also noticed that you posted a photo in 2006 of a complete last 17 run on Trilogo cards. That's right. Yeah, that was another that was another big milestone. Uh, it was a, it was a bit easier to put together back then than it is now. The prices have gone up quite a bit, but yeah, that was. Um, I, I I never really had a great interest in the trial in the last 17 figures as a. Um, when I was collecting in the 90s because I didn't remember them. I, I, I completely missed them um, mm. somehow. Even, even though I was a, one of the later collectors, I, I don't recall seeing any of the last 17 figures in the shops. Um, so, yeah, that was that, that, it, it was one of the last runs I decided to put, to do, uh, put together and was uh, yeah, quite, quite pleased when I did it because, as you know, they're quite, uh, quite coveted figures. What was the hardest to find back then and would it still be the hardest to find now? Um, hardest and uh, difference between hardest and most expensive. The most expensive was Jack Face then, and probably still the same now. Um, but he's never been one of the hardest trilogos to pick up. I, I, I think he's he's probably not even in the top fifty in terms of rarity. He's just expensive. Um, so yeah, he was he was he was one I kind of uh, gritted my teeth a bit paying several hundred pounds for. What about after him? What would you say is the most expensive? Um, of the last seventeen, probably Luke Stormtrooper. I think he's he's also. Um, Again, not terribly, not terribly uncommon, but people just—he's—he uh, is one of the coolest figures. I think everybody would agree with that. So he—he he always sells for big money and always has. Now you, you've mentioned it very, very briefly, but in 2007 you had a theft where most yes. of the collection was stolen. Now this has been well documented online. That's so right. I, I don't want to dig it up again for you, but I was just wondering if you continued to collect straight away after that theft, or had it really tarnished the hobby for you? Um, yeah, I didn't because um, uh, obviously, uh, as you mentioned, uh, years later, what happened to them did eventually come out. But at the time, I had no idea. It was just a, a random burglary, burglary as far as I was concerned. So I was in a state of kind of shock and confusion more than anything else. Um, so, I, yeah, I just stopped altogether. I didn't buy a single thing for uh, quite, quite a while. Um, it, was, it was nearly 10 years ago now, so I can't remember the exact details, but I certainly didn't buy or sell anything for a while. It, it took a while for me to decide to sell what I had left. It did really kill my collecting bugger for, for quite a while, unfortunately. Were you still active on the forum during that period, or did it affect everything? Yeah, I've never, I've never stopped going on the forum. Even I, uh, ever since I was a kid in the mid nineties, I've always gone in out of collecting. Um, I've, I, I go through. Um, I tend to be quite obsessive, so I'll go mad for a couple of months and then realise I've got no money left and have to wait for a while. Um, so I, I've, I've been like that my whole collecting life, and um, th- there have been long periods where I haven't haven't bought things. So that wasn't really anything new. But my, my interest has never never waned. I, I don't think I would ever stop uh, stop being interested in it. So I've always always been around on the forum. Before the theft, my main two focuses were Trilogo card figures and also Luke Bespin. I had a pretty uh, impressive Luke Bespin focus. Um, so I, I certainly didn't want to start either of those again because it would have been quite, uh, you know, demoralising uh, trying to get all that stuff back again. So I, I tried to find something new to collect. I put together the first thing I tried was twelve backs. I thought that would be a fun thing to put together, but actually it's a very boring thing to put together because they're so easy to get hold of. Um, it only took me about six months or so to put together a, a full set. Um, so I got bored of that quite quickly and sold them. And then I. Um, my next outing was to try and put together a 77 back set of the first 12, which was actually really difficult. I, I never managed to finish that. 
Um, <clears throat> I, I, I spent about two years trying to get the first 12 characters on 77 back cards, and I think I got to 10 in the end, but I just could not find a Han or Leia for love nor money. Obviously, as things go, as soon as I started selling them, they, they both turned up, but um, <laughs> I, I spent a significant amount of time and effort looking for those two and never managed to find them. So, um, yeah, in my opinion, the 77 cut backs are far harder to find than 12 backs are. You want me going back down that line again then? Um, no, I've, I'm, I'm one of these collectors that I don't really have tunnel vision for any particular style. I, I'm, not tot- I'm not only into Palatoy or only into Trilogue. You know, I appreciate everything because um, when I was collecting in the 90s, that's what you, that's what you got. You couldn't, be, you couldn't be picky. You couldn't say, I'm only going to collect Palatoy figures because if there weren't any to buy, then you, you, know, you, you were kind of stuck. So I've always, I've always had a very eclectic collection and uh, interest of, uh, uh, in different uh, you know, uh, brands and countries and things like that. So as a collector, do you, do you tend to like, like you just said, collect a 12-back run, sell it, and then aim for something else, kind of, you know, is it more about the chase and the um, putting together? Yeah, the yeah, definitely. I, I, I'd be the first to admit that I'm, I'm not one of these collectors who buys things and then never sells them. I, I do enjoy the trading as much as I do the collecting, so that's, that's part of the fun for me. It's, not, it, it's, it's partly about getting a bargain, but also I, I enjoy interacting with other people and trading things and... Uh, having new parcels arrive and posting things out, uh, I just I find the whole thing enjoyable, really. Now you've actively attempted to put together a tri logo run once again. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, Joe asked me this question a couple of years ago, and I said I, I wouldn't start collecting tri logos again. But I, I've uh, finally caved in and started. I, I think because um, because of, because of my age, tri logos is what I remember seeing in the shops. I've always been drawn to them. Um, I've, uh, I also love the fact that they don't really age, um, unlike the Kenner and um, some Palatoy figures that are almost always yellow. Um, the tri logo figures still look pretty much now as they did in the shops. Um, so, so that's one of the big appeals to me. So yeah, I, I, I fight. it was about seven or eight months ago now. I just on a whim bought a couple that um, that turned up on eBay for reasonable prices. And um, as as I said earlier, I'm quite obsessive. So once I got a couple, I started try. I I, I went a bit mad and bought loads in the, in, a, in a very short period of time. But I've I've backed off the gas a bit now because um, yeah, I, I want to I want to enjoy it. I, I don't want to. There's no point in getting yourself in debt or collecting them all as quickly as you can because uh, then what are you going to do you know you, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it makes much more sense to play the long game in collecting precisely how far are, in, are you into it um, I've, got, I've only got about 30 or 40 so uh, I can't remember exactly but uh, well under half um, I, I've been quite lucky to pick up some of the more uh, the more difficult ones to find um, just through um, just uh, as I said earlier it's great being on the forum because um, I really love the way people look out for each other I've been I, I, I've got a couple of difficult ones through some friends on there which I definitely wouldn't have got if I was just scouting eBay so that's that, that's been good um, so yeah under halfway and I'm in no rush to finish to be honest so um, I'll, I'll, I'll take my time I think you've just been talking about Trilogos most people who know anything about you know that you're you know you're a huge fan of them yes, so yeah. why Trilogos because back in the day these weren't particularly popular amongst collectors but recent years they've become really sought after haven't they they were certainly when I was collecting in the 90s Trilogos were bottom of the pile they were the cheapest figures um, on cards that you could buy by quite a, quite a distance everybody wanted Kenner stuff back then um, even Palatoy wasn't really that interesting to most people um, so Trilogo was I guess I guess you could almost compare Trilogos then to Power of Force 2 now they were kind of second rate 
stuff as far as most collectors were concerned. Um, but due to that, they were the ones I could afford. So um, in the back then, I, I, I probably had about 20 Trilogos in the 90s, um, including some of the ones that people consider tough now, like the TIE Fighter pilot. Um, and yeah, so, so that's one of the reasons I like them. I've, I've, uh, they were some of the, they were probably the most prevalent carded figures in the nineties when I started collecting again. So I, they've, uh, and I, I do have, although I'm not one of these people that remembers specifics like walking into shops and buying things, I, I do have kind of hazy memories of try logos in the shops. So that's another reason too. I was, I was too young for Palatoy. I, I have no recollection of Palatoy, uh, stuff at all. So from when you were collecting these Trilogos a decade ago, what kind of sort of price difference have you noticed from now, from then? Oh, crazy money. I mean, yeah, some, some of the prices I paid back in the 90s would make you laugh. I think I paid 25 quid for my TIE Fighter pilot. Most, I, I never, I, back then I rarely spent more than 20 or 30 quid on a carded figure, so I got ones like Darth Vader, um, Han Solo Original, uh, C-3PO, R2-D2, all for kind of 20, 25 quid each. So, um, as, as I said, at the time, they just, they were, they were, fractionally more expensive than loose figures um, which you, you wouldn't believe now because people are paying so much for them when I, when I spoke to Joe I had Joe on the um, podcast back on I think it was episode 7 he stated yes. that he thought people were, were overpriced in Trilogos in the current market I, I think they're definitely not as rare as, as, as the prices would, would make you think but it's not just Trilogos I think Star Wars across the board has gone nuts you've probably noticed that loose yak faces and vinyl cape dowers are selling for triple what they were two years ago um, so Trilogos are no different, really. They they have gone up, but um, only relatively to other stuff, in my opinion. Pretty much everything, apart from the common Kenner Return of the Jedi figures, are, are, are commanding a lot more than they were a few years ago. But there are still bargains out there, as as Joe would um, advocate. If you rush in, you'll spend too much. If you if you are, even in the last six months while I've been collecting again, I've bought probably three or four for under twenty quid. So if you um, if if you're if if you keep an eye on eBay, these bargains do still come up. So if someone wanted to start a try logo run now, it's still readily available out there. Obviously, you're you're showing that by clicking. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, yeah, I wouldn't let I wouldn't let the prices put you off. Um, there are some figures, as I mentioned earlier, Luke Stormtrooper, Yak Face. You you'll never find figures like that cheap um, unless you happen to you know unearth a find or something. But there there are plenty that you can that are very affordable. Uh, only fractionally more than loose figures in some cases. But why do you think the prices have gone mental? It must be because of the films. Um, I, that's the only thing I can think of, because, um, as, as I said, I've, I've been collecting for 20-plus years now, so I've, I've never seen a rise as quickly as this. And prices have been pretty steady over that time. Um, certainly since the internet came around, um, prices haven't, ha- haven't gone that crazy um, at, any, at any time, apart from the last year or two. Um, so I... I I think it's partly the film, and uh, some, I'm not sure whether people agree with this, but I, I'm also of the opinion that because we're now getting a bit older, there are people new to the hobby or existing in the hobby that have a bit more money than they used to have, so they can afford to spend more. That's certainly not something I could do when I, was, when I first started collecting. I was, I was collecting on pocket money. The fact that now I can spend 100 quid on a card figure and not have to uh, save up weeks for it is, uh, is uh, quite nice, and I imagine it's the same for a lot of people, just on a much bigger scale. Do you think the bubble will burst? Very difficult to say, isn't it? I'd, I'd, uh, I'd like to. I'd, I, I'm, I've never been in, in collecting for the for the money, as as a lot of people haven't. So um, I honestly wouldn't care if it did, because it would just mean I could buy stuff cheaper again. So I'm not one of these people that thinks I'm going to retire off my Star Wars collection. No. I do worry slightly about people being priced out, but um, as it, as people like Joe would tell you, you nobody is really priced out of collecting. If you if you're smart, you can still buy things uh, for, for for reasonable prices. 
Poncho Belt on the um, on the forum is a good example of that, isn't it? With his yes, exactly. collection, he's put a, yeah, it's brilliant, yeah, quite an array of uh, card carded figures himself. Yeah, it, it reminds me very that that run particularly reminds me of my collection, my own collection in the nineties, because back then people were far less condition sensitive than they are now. You know, pretty much every carded figure I had had a cracked bubble or sellotape on it or pinholes or ripped hangers. That's just what that's just what they were like back then. The uh, you couldn't be so fussy because there there, there just wasn't the the selection out there. Your old collection might have had pinholes, wasn't it? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I yeah. That I photo today. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, back then I used to pin all mine up on the wall, which uh, I obviously cringe at now. Um, but yeah, at the, at the time, as I said, they were all 15, 20 quid figures, so they weren't really, they weren't particularly valuable. Is your aim to complete a complete run of Trilogos over time? Um, I, I would like to get back to where I was um, before. When I, before my collection was stolen, I, I had all of them apart from the big three: Jawa, Fett, and Medine. Um, I don't think I'll ever have those. I, pro- I might get a Jawa one day, but I don't think I'll ever be able to afford a, a, a Feta or um, Medine because um, I, I just couldn't justify spending thousands of pounds on a single item. Um, so I, I'd like to get most of them back again. But um, what I've been trying to do this time is also collect the ones I like. Um, the, the, there's a lot of there's a lot of tri logos that are pretty boring, you know, like Squid Face and uh, sorry Squid Head and Prune Face. I, I'm not particularly bothered about picking ones like that up because um, you know they're, they're dull figures, dull cards. I, I, I'd like to. I, I'm I'm, tr- I'm looking for the interesting ones basically. Would you be tempted by something like a Medine Reseal if it came up? Um, I've never been into reseals actually. I, I I don't think I've ever knowingly owned one. So yeah, for, for me it's got to be the real deal or nothing. Uh, I've nothing against people who do do collect reseals, but yeah, I, I'd I'd rather not have one than have a reseal or a custom personally. In all your years collecting trilogos, then what has been your best bargains and deals? Um, best bargain probably an Emperor's Royal Guard I bought for about I, I can't remember exactly. It was between fifty and seventy five quid. Um, and that's now a three or four hundred quid figure, I, I, I think, in today's market. So that that was a good buy. Um, I also um, uh, had a very good find once where it, this, this, there's a photo of it on Joe's forum. Um, I found a guy locally selling. He had five Trilogo uh, layer Bespins. So I bought all of them off him for I think it was a hundred quid, um, which he was very pleased with. And um, even ba- even back then in two thousand and seven, they were worth probably a hundred or so each. So that that was a very good find. I, I've I've had countless to be honest. I think as, as any collector would say, it evens out over time. Sometimes you pay over the odds. Sometimes you get a bargain. So I've 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 had all sorts of bargains over the years. Also looking through your old limelights, you also used to have an outstanding Luke Bespin run. Um, yes. Yes, some amazing foreign car backs amongst many others, and I'm, I'm aware you no longer have this run, is it? Um, That's right, yes. Yeah, sadly, um, I, I don't have any of them anymore. I did, I did get back one of them when, when the, uh, the, the theft was recovered uh, a few years ago. I did get back one of them, but it was only a Kenner Jedi card, so it wasn't anything particularly interesting. So I... Um, uh, yeah, decided decided to. Um, it, I didn't want. I, I wouldn't have started again anyway. To be honest, I, I I was I was over it by then. But um, yeah, I, I don't have any of them anymore, sadly. What were your favourite pieces from it? Um, the coolest thing I had, I think, was the um, uh, Canadian transition card. Uh, I'm not sure if people know about them, but they've they're basically Empire Strike back, Strikes Back cards with a, a Return of the Jedi sticker over the logo. You don't really see them mentioned much, but the, the, you can get quite a lot of the Empire and Star Wars characters with them, and they just look really cool. They've got, um, they're, yeah, they're, 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 they're really great oddball items. I, I like the, can- the Canadian cards anyway, because they've got lots of extra French text on them, but the, this, this one in particular looked really cool. A- any other piece? You had a Lily Leddy in there as well, didn't you? Uh, yeah, not a Luke Bespin. I had a Lily Leddy Luke Jedi. That was, uh, that was, oh, the, right. uh, 
that was the second best. I, I couldn't find a Luke Bespin for, for love nor money, so I, I was uh, I, I I tolerated a Luke Jedi. Which um, back back then, Lily Ladies was was sought after. They weren't quite as hot as they are now, but um, even back then, it was still quite a quite a cool piece to own. Would you ever be tempted to go down AM Focal character focus again? Difficult one. I I, I really love looking at focus collections. Um, I, I I would have loved to do it. As I said earlier, my two favourite characters are Biker Scout and. Uh, uh, Luke X-Wing. Um, there's not really much point starting a Luke X-Wing one because there's already several people doing it, and I can just look at theirs. And um, I think if I did a, uh, a biker scout run, I'd only there'd only be about four or five different things I could buy, and then it would be finished. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it wouldn't be particularly interesting. So yeah, I, maybe one day I'll I'll think of another one to do, um, but, but not in the fu- not in the near future. Well, if you've got a love of prune face, perhaps you could go down that run. I've never seen a prune face. So. <laughs> no, no, I doubt there is one. Yeah, probably. The pro- that, that's the problem with the Jedi characters. There's, there's generally very, very few uh, <clears throat> cards you can actually collect. You know, there was only two or three Kenner ones and one Palatoy and one Trilogo. So you can. There's probably less than ten of most of the Jedi characters. How hard and expensive would it be to put that Luke Bespin run together now in the current market, and is it really doable? In the um, I, I honestly have no idea. I, I think um, I think probably the most the rarest ones I had back then were um, the, as the the Canadian transition I mentioned, and I also had a Spanish PVP, which is also incredibly rare. Um, I have no idea what they would sell for these days, to be honest. With people spending thousands of pounds on twelve backs, they should be worth tens of thousands, but I don't think that's the case. But yeah, it, it would it, it it would cost them serious money. I also used to have three Trilogo Luke Bespins, uh, three different variations, and as you probably know, they're they're a good three or four hundred quid each these days as well. It's one figure you've picked back up, isn't it, Luke Bespin? It is, yeah, yeah. Just but uh, that's actually one I picked up from Vectis. So thanks very much to Vectis for that one. Um, it was funny story actually. I, I put as most people on the forum have, I put a load of bids on Vectis uh, Vectis's first auction, where uh, well, first recent auction where the Trilogo Luke was in. I quickly saw all of my bids be outbid by people and lost interest, and then um, got an email a couple of days after the auction telling me I'd won it, which was a, a nice surprise. You're not a particular fan of the auction houses, are you? I, I, to, to be to be fair, I think Vectors are a lot more professional than some of the other auction houses are. Um, I think it, it's very good that they're they're getting all this cool new stuff out of the woodwork. Um, I think it's great that you know a lot of this stuff that's come to the market in the last few years or months wouldn't have would have never seen the light of day if it wasn't for Vectis and some of the other auction houses. So hats off to them for that. You ca- you can't fault them for that. Um, I I, th- I think that there are some things they could improve on, like the way they handle the stuff. Uh, you know, it's slightly scary seeing all these cardboard boxes with five five grand Palatoy Death Stars in them just kind of stacked up to the roof. But um, I guess when you've got that much stuff, it's hard to look after everything. Moving away from the mocks, you've recently, well, well, I say recently, I think the limelight dates back uh, three, three odd years or something, mm-hmm. but um, fairly recently, you've been showcasing a Star Wars video game collection. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if you'd ask me about that. Yeah, that's my that's uh, games is my other my other big passion. So, um, I, I as as with most people in their teens, I was a massive gamer, and um, I had I have particularly fond memories of the Star Wars games from that time. So, the Super Star Wars games on the SNES. The um, simulators on the PC, like Tie Fighter and X-wing, um, Dark Forces. Um, there, were, there were loads and loads of really good Star Wars games in the 80s and 90s. So I, I enjoy collecting those now. That's basically why you you collect them. Uh, ex- exactly. Yeah, they're, they're, they. I I kind of have just as fond memories of them as I do of the toys because I, I spent um, 
I've always been a fan. I, I'm one of these people that likes. Um, I, I really like the films, which a lot of uh, oddly I find quite a lot of collectors don't really care about the films. They're just into the toys. But I, I really love the films and I really love the games as well. So they're, they're my kind of big three Star Wars areas. So you're still actively buying and searching for the games. Yes, yeah, the games. I started buying the games um, roughly around the same time that my um, figures got stolen, and I've actually carried on with that ever since. I've never stopped buying the games. They they come up for sale much less often. Um, it's just starting to pick up a bit now, but video game collecting is years and years behind Star Wars. Um, you know, VGA have only just started grading them fairly recently, or, or AFA, as most Star Wars collectors know them. Um, and yeah, the market really hasn't matured yet, like it has with Star Wars. So they're, they're a lot of people. It's uh, they they don't come up for sale that often. Actually, some of the some of the more common things I have in my game collection took me years and years to find, just because people people don't really value them yet. Now, oh, right, I was going to ask you that. Has there been, although you're saying they're still low valued, has there been a price hike like in the last eighteen months, like the mocks? Not that I've really noticed. Um, I, I, I think, yeah, prices are still pretty low on games. If, if anyone was, is interested in a kind of oddball direction to go in, I, it, I'd highly recommend it because there are there are dozens of games you can pick up for ten, twenty quid. Um, and even I did actually a couple. I don't know if you uh, saw it on eBay a couple of weeks ago. A sealed Game Boy Star Wars sold for eight hundred quid. That's the most expensive game I've seen sell um, ever, actually. Um, so that 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 was a bit of a shock to me. So it does seem in some areas they're they're picking up, but generally there are lots of cheap games you can buy, all, all still sealed as well. So that that's the other thing I like about collecting the games. Um, as with Star Wars, I like the fact I can still buy sealed ones because I I I, I, I have a kind of nostalgic attach, attachment to the the brand new sealed stuff. I, I guess it reminds me of being a kid and buying it. How big is your current collection on that? Um, I've got a lot more games than I have figures now. I've probably got 100 or so games, maybe more than that. Um, I haven't actually taken a recent limelight, so I'll, I'll, I'll have to do it again sometime soon. Quite a lot. Um, but yeah, loads. Uh, far more than I can put on display. Um, one th- what's quite good about them is they're very small. As you can probably imagine, the Game Boy games are far smaller than something like a mock or a, car- a box vehicle is. Um, so I can quite happily buy dozens and dozens of games and just keep them in cardboard boxes. And because they're pretty much all virtually worthless, it's not, I don't lose any sleep over keeping them in a box either. Is there anything you're particularly on the hunt for at the moment? Um, I would, um, well, I, I would have loved the uh, sealed Star Wars Game Boy that sold for 700 quid last week, but um, I'm not paying that much for it. Um, other than that, um, I've just got into the PC games recently, so that's, that's my current focus. I'm trying to get all the big box LucasArts Star Wars games. Um, I've managed to pick up quite a few of them, but there are some I still need, so that, that's, that's uh, they're what I'm looking for at the moment. Oh, nice. You've not um, tempted by buying a big arcade machine, then? Um, I did, actually. Uh, I never had a Star Wars arcade machine. I did used to have a, 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 a kind of generic arcade machine in my, in, my, um, in, my, in my bedroom when I was a kid. So I've always, I've, as I said, I've always been into games, and uh, I do love the arcade Star Wars games as well. I, I, I have a very nice memory of playing the, um, you know, the cockpit Star Wars game um, on Brighton Pier in the mid-80s. That's, that's one of my favourite um, uh, childhood memories. So, yeah, I, I do love them, but they're, they're far too big. You know, that, that cockpit Star Wars is, it would take up an entire room, so I don't think I could ever have one, unfortunately. How far are you going to take this collection? Because there must be dozens of variations from the different countries. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll keep going, I think, because um, it's, uh, it's just as interesting as collecting the figures is. There's all different countries, there's different brands, there's different platforms, so there's, 
there are there are I've only been finding out recently that there are literally hundreds if not thousands of different Star Wars games across all the different um consoles and desktop computers and things like that. So yeah, I think I'll I'll, I'll stick it out. I basically I pretty much buy anything new I find that I haven't already got because um unlike Star Wars collecting where there's people fighting over everything, there isn't really with games. They ha- they haven't really taken off yet. So there's it, it's pretty much wait until something comes along and then buy it. Have you got a cut-off point for like the year? <laughs> for collecting? Like, yeah. With the... um, I don't know, really. I'm sure I'll get in trouble for collecting stuff one day. Um... Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> That's not what I meant. I didn't mean oh, that. With computer mean inter- games, is there like you collect computer games that came out up to 95? Oh, okay, yeah. That's or would you question. continue? Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah, that's a good question. So um, I originally only stuck um, was committed to buying 90s and 80s stuff. Um, so for a very long time, that's all I was buying. But I did cave in about a year or two ago and start buying some of the early 2000s stuff as well. So things like um, Dreamcast games and um, Nintendo GameCube games and stuff and things like that. Just just because I was running out of, or I thought I was running out of 90s and 80s things to buy. Um, so I have. I'd say my collection goes up to about 2003 or 2004 at the moment. Who knows? I might I might start buying some more recent stuff one day. Is there much difference between like um, the packaging from country to country, or is it all very bog standard? Um, one thing, um, the the um, the UK games are very popular with game collectors because they um, they came with um, specific Nintendo seals. This this is very geeky and train spotting, but. Um, the um the the UK um Nintendo games all came with red um tear strip seals um and they are incredibly sought after by collectors because there's not many of them out there and it's pretty much the only thing that distinguishes them from um stuff from other countries so most of the other um american and um foreign games when they were new they either just came in the box open or um shrink wrapped and obviously as you can imagine shrink wrap isn't particularly difficult to forge so when you buy something American, you never really know if it's new or not. Um, but these Nintendo games, because they come with a specific Nintendo seal, um, you can you can tell they're the real deal, and they're 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 they're, they're about the only thing that's quite sought after in terms of game collecting. What are your particular favourites in your collection then, when it comes to the games? Um, I love my I love my my Super Nintendo Star Wars games, and they're they're the ones I have really fond memories of playing. Um, especially, and they've got really cool artwork, and uh, there's lots of different variations as well. Um, there's, there's different countries, there's different, ver- there's, you know, the original release, there's a later repress, I guess you could call it. So there's, there's I've probably got about 20 different versions just for the Super Nintendo, which is, which is quite cool. An obsession there, then. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, anybody that hasn't seen that, I really do, uh, we'll have to bump that thread up to the top of the, um, the limelights when we release the podcast. Because it's, yes, yes, it's been a while, it's good, I, I, isn't it? Yeah, I do. I do add to it every time I pick something up, which uh, isn't that often these days. But I, I, I try and keep it up to date. Yeah, I think the thread's about eight, nine pages long now, so there's plenty. Yeah, to, yeah, plenty mm. to go through. Um, moving on a bit, then. Do you attend many conventions? I know you just said you went to the um, the first celebration Europe. That's right. Yep. Do you attend many others? Um, I wouldn't say I was a regular. I've been to a few. I've been. To, I went to Celebration Europe. I've been to a couple of memorabilia's. I I went to. I think I've been to one farthest from. Um, so yeah, I, sadly I don't go. I don't go to all of them, but I do like to go when I can. I think um, yeah, they're, they're a great opportunity to meet people and buy stuff and have. Um, actually, it's it's quite nice of them to have a non-Star Wars chat to people. You know, on the forum you tend to only talk to these to, to everybody about toys, but it's nice to meet up with people and talk about work or normal things sometimes. With with Celebration Europe coming to London next year, have you mm-hmm. any plans for the show or anything in the back of your mind you'd like to do? 
Um, I, I'm, I'm, I always go to the celebrations. Luckily, because my because my forum is pretty big and well known, um, I get press pass to cel- to all the celebration events. Um, so I, I will. Um, I'd like to do a bit more this time, rather than just turn up and take some photos. I'm I'm toying with the idea of perhaps doing a stall to promote the forum. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm in I'm in talks with a couple of other people, um, including yourselves, of course, yeah. about the possibility of doing a, a joint stall or something. Um, so yeah, that that's something I'm I'm reasonably keen on doing. From a collector who's been around a long while, you've had your highs and lows of the collecting, various focuses. If a new collector came to you who had an average budget for advice on how best to get into Star Wars collecting, what advice would you give him? It's, it's a bit of a cliche, but take your time is the most important thing. Um, the biggest the mistake I see over and over again is people come into collecting, spend all their money, get into debt, and then end up selling it all six months later. So um, that the, the, you really have to take your time in this game, otherwise you'll overpay for things. If, if you buy the first one you see, you'll, you'll never get a good deal. So yeah, taking your time is the, the most important thing, I think. I still do that now. Yeah, if you take your time, you'll end up with paying less and better quality as well, which um, you know most people wouldn't think that's the case. They'd think you pay more for high-end stuff and less for rough stuff. But when you're in, when you're in a real mad panic buying stuff, you tend to not care about condition or price. You just buy stuff on site. So um, m- quite a lot of the nicest pieces in my collection I haven't paid a fortune for just because I've been patient. What is your greatest collecting achievement right through your whole collecting time? Uh, probably the forum, I guess. Um, although, although, although it's not really something I, I, I sing out about in public, um, I'm, I'm very proud to have the forum, obviously, because it's uh, brought so many people together. I've met dozens of people through it. Um, I've bought a, a lot of things through it. I know a lot of people buy most of their stuff through it. So, yeah, it's great to think that just from uh, toying around with a website ten years ago, I've, um, I, I've ended up making something uh, that a lot of people uh, hold quite dearly. So, yeah, that, that's really nice. Ten-year anniversary next year. Perhaps you could. Um, it is, yeah. So, yeah, Christmas. Yeah, Chris, yeah, Christmas this year, 2000, uh, December two thousand and five, will be the ten-year anniversary. So, I'll, I'll definitely come up with something. Maybe a nice giveaway or something. And on the flip side, then, what's been your biggest regret? I've got a feeling I know you're going to go with this. Um, biggest regret, yeah. So, um, as I touched on earlier, I, I well, when I was really into my tri logos about ten years ago, I did get offered a. Um, uh, uh, Trilogo Jawa, uh, which, uh, as anyone would tell you, is in the top three rarest and seriously expensive. Um, I got offered one that was partially resealed for, I think it was about 75 or 100 quid, something like that, and I turned it down because, as, as I said uh, earlier, I'm a bit of a snob for reseals, so I, I turned it down. But, yeah, I, I really regret that because I've never seen one for sale since. Um, I know a few have sold in public, but I've never been able to find one myself, and... Um, I, I certainly haven't seen one sell for that kind of money ever. So to give the listeners an idea of exactly how big a regret it is, if you were to pick <laughs> one up now, what, what would you be paying? Uh, well, there's one on eBay for five grand right now. Um, e- even the card back sells for two or three hundred quid. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a seriously ex- ex- expensive and it's genuinely rare as well. You know, when people say things like 12 backs or Boba Fett carded figures are rare they're not rare compared to a, a Jawa Trilogo it's you know I've, I've probably only seen five in the 20 years I've been collecting yeah well I'm, I'm going to agree with you that really is a big mistake passing on that one isn't it? <laughs> yeah yeah kicking myself even now <laughs> yeah which one item are you currently targeting if you could add one thing to your collection right now what would you add um I would act I would um it, it would be a Trilogo probably um a layer Hoth I'd really or a, either a layer Hoth or a layer um poncho I'd, I'd love those two at the moment because they're the ones I need to complete my um my set of layers so yeah that would be cool and finally if the earth was about to explode 
and we've been <laughs> transferred to another world we can live on. Space is limited and money has no value. You're allowed just one single item from your collection. Which item are you packing up to come with you and why? Um, it would, of course, be my um, Star Wars Luke X-Wing. Um, it's by, it's no, by no means the most valuable, but I've, I've, I've owned it um, on and off for 20 years now. And um, I, I remember vividly buying it with my brother in a pokey little shopping pool 20 years ago. So, yeah, that, that holds real sentimental value to me. Right, so, well, please, please, please come and sign up to uh, StarWarsForum.co.uk. It really is a great place. Ed, thank you ever so much. I've had a oh, it's been a pleasure. It's flown by. I'm, I'm, I, I can't believe we've been chatting for an hour. So, yeah, yeah it's been really good fun. Yeah, they these, uh, these yeah. Cats here. And um, there's so much more we could talk to you, so I'm sure we'll have you back on at some point. Yeah, maybe next time. Hopefully get to meet you at a convention at some point. Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll 100% be at Celebration Europe next year. I'll try and get to the next farthest from, or um, maybe memorabilia in November. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll try and get out in the near future. That's wonderful. Thank you ever so much, Ed. Brilliant. Cheers, Stu. Thanks. Let's go over to Jez for this month's LA. Jezebel. <laughs> Jezebel. That's a name I've not heard in a long time. Hello, what have we here? Ah, good. New acquisition. Right, this month I've actually really enjoyed it. We've always done it on Star Wars Forum UK, and, and as you know, that's the forum which I'm on the most, so a great deal of this is obviously still from Star Wars Forum UK. However, it's been really cool having a look at some of the other Facebook groups as well and getting on RS just to see what people have been buying. And, and yet, as ever, there are lots and lots of stuff happening. I just want to give a quick shout-out, really, to, first of all, several of the recent pickups on Star Wars Forum UK. On page 1685, there's Gornish, Mike. He's put up a rancor, which he's delighted with, because it was actually his wife who picked that up from a little... It was a little sort of antique garden centre stall, shop-type thing, and she bought it home for £8. Anyone seen that? Stu, did you have a little look at that? I did, and it's it's great to see that the um, the odd items are still being picked up. Saying to you earlier, in 2013, I found a, a Millennium Falcon in a charity shop for a pound, which I've used to do up my childhood one, so um, no better feeling. A pound? Grant, what about you, buddy? Mate, uh, do you know what? The Rancor Monster was the most wanted Christmas present of Christmas. must be 1983 or 1984. I wanted that so bad. And when my mum bought it for me, she put it in the boot of the car because it's meant to be a Christmas present. And I pointed at it, and she said it was a loaf of bread because it's the old Trilogo box. Yeah, great stuff. Eight pound. Yeah, I mean, sure. That, that's awesome. It's a really good nick. And uh, yeah, I'll be well chatted. So go on, each nice one, mate. Then I think we were all delighted to see Jedi Masters Chris starting to post a little bit more. He's uh, on page 1687. He's put up a really, really nice Attack Commander mint on card, which also came with a TIE Fighter pilot loose. So, Chris, great to see you on the forum again, buddy. Really, really nice. Moving on to page 1688. Any of you guys check out 
Bruce's Leah Proofs. He picked it up an Empire Strikes Back Leah Proof in Anaheim. And he's lined them up with Star Wars 1 and A Return of a Jedi. And they look absolutely brilliant. Any of you guys seen that? I think it's getting to the, the point now with these amazing items that Bruce is bringing out. It's just a kind of, oh my god, there's another proof from Bruce. Every one of these are phenomenal. How he's finding them is, is beyond me. It's consistent, isn't it? There's another amazing mark. There's another amazing mark. One after another after another. Uh, I just noticed that all, that all the ones that he has are offerless as well. Yeah, they're real. It's, they just look great the way he's got them lined up. But to have those as well, I mean, all I've got, I've, I've got a proof. I'm lucky enough to have a proof. I've got the, the revenge one, which is obviously the more common. But to get these, I mean, this is something else. So moving on, on page 1693, you know, people just can't let it go, can they? We saw Timbo collected a massive, great collection of B-Wing pilot and then uh, sold them last year to Ian. Rich, I know that you, uh, you noticed this. Any thoughts? Yeah, it, it, you're bang on right there. It's great to see guys coming back. Um, he's not the only one. There's one or two other members of Stars from UK who have sold up, seem to have disappeared over the last year or two, and, and have come back. But what I have noticed with Timbo and a few other guys is that they've come back quite quick. I'm a little bit concerned about that because you, you know you get back into the habit of purchasing things very, very quickly, uh, and then your, your car breaks down five months down the line and you, you end up selling your collection again. So I'm just going to say, guys... Fantastic collections. Just take it easy. Remember why you had to sell last time. You don't want to do it again. Yeah. Well, welcome back, Timbo. Good to see you again. We all know Lee Gray. Now, this is quite nice because it covers Star Wars from UK and Rebel Scum. He's put up his Revenge Fet, which is which is really really sweet. Again, Rich, you noticed this, I know, because you were you were chatting about this. Yeah, we've talked about the Revenge Proofs many times. Um, the, the FET one that Lee's got is, is really nice. Uh, it's a very nice condition card, and he's really proud of it. He's, he's posted it on multiple forums and, and social media platforms. Uh, the FET one is one of the trickier ones. not the most difficult Revenge Proof to get, but it is one of the trickier ones, mainly because of the FET tax. So he's, he's, he's paid a lot of money for this Revenge Proof, but well done, Lee. A cracking item. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fair tax, I think that's going to put it definitely out of my league. Now, moving on, Lee put that onto Rebel Scum, and then I decided to, to check out the Rebel Scum um, latest acquisitions. When you consider the Star Wars Forum UK, you know, we're up to page 1697, I believe. RS, Rebel Scum, I've been looking at page 154, 155, 156, 157. which shows that they're not, they're not posting as much with regards to latest acquisitions. But boy, what they are posting is is something else. First of all, on page 154, a chap called Metaphor, or a.k.a. Erin, has put on a fantastic... I just love these. I love them. A Power of the Force skiff, which he's just got there, decorated with various different loose figures. You know, I said before we went to Anaheim, I would definitely love to get myself a, a, a skiff. I just think they look fantastic. I can't remember them as a kid. Um, any of you guys got one? No, embarrassingly, no. I'd love to have one. No, I thought you had a chance, Jez. There were a few in Anaheim, weren't there? There's some of the stores. There's quite a few that were, were kind of circulating for like the four hundred, six hundred dollar mark. Didn't, didn't you? Uh, didn't you go for one in the end? No. You know, I was pleased with what I came back with. They, a lot of the ones there weren't quite complete, or the guy only wanted to sell it in a box. And uh, I didn't want it in a box. He, he was he was trying to charge extra naturally for the fact it had a box. But this is such an amazing 
chip, in, in my opinion, it needs to be on display. I, I don't want it in a box. And maybe maybe that's really weird of me, but I just I thought no, I don't need a boxed item. It is kind of strange how the in, in the Star Wars collecting world, even the modern one that they released in about you know mid nineties, I think, even that one's hard to find and expensive. It's as if someone's missed a trick here. Yeah, there's a lot of people thinking but it's the same thing you know and a lot of people are getting confused I, I don't know possibly they are, I mean they're, they're all hard to get hold of I think it was one released in the 2000s as well uh, with like a silent really naff looking silent pit with it um, and even that's a little bit daft for how, how old it is you know it goes for like 50, 60 quid but that, the, the, the one in the 90s can go for, for silly money they very rarely come up as well that's one of the and modern I, I wouldn't mind having because there's no way I'm ever going to afford one of those, those vintage ones I would love one even if it was beaten up I'll probably go for it yeah moving on to page 156 a guy called Guido didn't shoot well I'm sure he wasn't christened now I know from uh, chatting with him his name's Gary he's put up a great score of first 21 cards in fact I did spot that one of them was missing he, he claimed that they're all there um, on page 156 it's, it's a great spread however it, he is missing the stormtrooper but wow, what, what a post. Just putting up 20 of the first 21 cards. Really, really impressive. So, yeah, very, very nice to look at. I would check that out on page 156. And what about these final two? You've got Dark Del Toro, hopefully I've pronounced that right, old Jose on page 157. He's got a Leddy Mint on card reuse, which just looks i mean we've been seeing more and more of these leddies out recently fortunately i think it was quite a few came out from anaheim but that's that's just a sensational pickup and one which yeah you should definitely be proud of just having that little little leddy logo at the bottom and the el returno del jedi at the top it's just yeah stunning piece which i think you can tell i quite like and finally on the shout outs ross bar pre-production sample han solo trench on Emperor's Royal Guard, page 154. Absolutely stunning piece. Grant, I know that you checked this out. What are your thoughts, buddy? I, got, I think it's my favourite piece I've seen up for sale this year. It's the first time I've ever seen this piece. Don't really see many samples on cards either, but I think this one is... It's nice to see something new. It's unusual to see something I haven't seen before. And um, Emperor's Royal Guard is probably one of my favourite card backs. And to have a Han Solo... A mock figure on that is, is just phenomenal. I think so far this year, this is my favourite pickup I've seen. Yeah, it, it's stunning. I just, you know, urge people to go and check it out. It's on page 154. This Han Solo in trench coat is just in a plain trench coat. None of the camouflage there. You know, this is the sample. I, I've got no idea of market value on this. It's, it's just absolutely brilliant. But page 154 on Rebel Scum. Yeah, Ross, man, that you've, um, that's cracking. Phenomenal. So as you can see, you know, loads of things to shout out about and some really, really quality stuff out there, guys. But what I wanted to do, I wanted to look a little bit closer. It's an Imperial TIE Fighter, which we saw on Star Wars Forum UK, which had been put up by the gent. And this is on page 1686, and it's absolutely pristine. He's quite clearly chuffed about it. So it's a pristine boxed first edition TIE Fighter. You know, I know that we've done you know, figures and bootlegs and coins and, and proofs and all sorts of things like that and miscards. But I'm not sure if we've actually gone into the stuff which we actually had as kids, which were the ships. I mean, am I, am I right or wrong? Oh, that's a really good point, actually, Jez. I think we talked about the Imperial Attack Base, but that's about it. That's a, that's a massive vacuum there. Well, 
you know, I'm going to I'm going to be looking into this because at the end of the day, you know, we are here. Most of us are reminiscing and it's all about what we had, the childhood stuff, the kid stuff. So we just need to look a little bit more at that. It's, it's something which I'm definitely keen on. Now, one of the first three Star Wars vehicles kind of developed and released was the TIE Fighter. So it's, you know, massively, massively familiar to everyone. Now, what the gents got is, is the first edition. And it was the one which has got the LP logo, which obviously stood for long play. Now, that was just on the box for a year or so. And it's it's just referred to as Tie Fighter, but what I've what I've picked up on the um, SWCA on the old Star Wars Collectors Archive is that it lists it that it's got a an error on the box saying that the contents is actually an X-wing rather than a Tie Fighter, which seems really really strange to me. It said that the earliest version had the LP logo and a textual error. It said that the following year. There was a, a bit of a difference. You had the special offer version of the toy, which had the the uh, two figures. In this case, it was a Darth Vader and a Stormtrooper. And as you go on, 1979, the LP logo was removed and the title was expanded from TIE Fighter to Imperial TIE Fighter. So, so there we go. So they've moved on. You can already see in 77, 78 and 79, they're constantly changing the box. But what he's got is the first edition, the 1980. We get the Empire Strikes Back, same photo, just the different Empire Strikes Back logo. And then again, a few years later on, kind of completely refreshed it all over again. And this time it's gone from the strange choice of the additional, the initial white ship. And then they changed it to blue, which, you know, we look at the white ship. And I'm sure as a kid you were thinking, but it's not white in the film, or everyone's got a different colour perception. What would you guys say? How would you describe the colour of a TIE fighter in the movies? Pete? I guess a kind of like a, a lighty grey colour. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anyone, I mean, Grant, you're a TIE fighter pilot collector. They're, they're, they are blue in Empire Strikes Back. Right, okay. They're, the ships in the movie are blue. Yeah, there's some shots where they're blue. It's, I think it's just down to colour correction more than anything else, but they do appear blue. Yeah, well, they, they obviously had them in 1977 in white, and naturally we've seen a lot of our ships then deteriorate, be it sun damage or just plastic degradation, you know, starting to go yellow. But this one, this one which he's got, it is pristine. It's really, really nice. In 1983, as you know, we got the Battle Damage TIE Fighter, which had the stickers which they put on the wings, and then in the return of a yellow box. I'm not going to go in and talk about the Hasbro release later on. Rich, what are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, um, you've just reminded us something that um, Jamie Fuzzy Fuzzy Toys and I were having a conversation at Father's from Five, I think. Do you know the cockpits on the top of the um, the X-Wing? On the blue one, it has slots in the top, but in the white one, it has the markings for the slots, but the plastic is there. Have you noticed that? What I want to do first of all, though, Rich, is allow you the opportunity to apologise in this podcast as opposed to doing it in the episode 15. Go with me, mate. I'm doing you a favour here. I'm pretty sure you just said in the X-Wing, not in the TIE Fighter. Guys, <laughs> am I right? Yeah, I need X-Wing. Yeah, OK. I'm just, I just want to, you know, protect ourselves from, you know, you having to apologise. No one wants to hear you apologise. So Je- yeah, you're ab- you're absolutely right, buddy. Yeah. Jez, are we going to talk about the uh, the silver version of the Tie Fighter? Don't want to take the jam out. You don't. Know. 
mate, you can have all the jam you want, you know. We we are good friends, you know. I, I've got no issue with you taking the jam, as long as you leave me some sugar. Because <laughs> it does look like they reissued the TIE Fighter again, long after the Return of the Jedi one in Brazil. Glassley. Yeah, the Glassley one, which has got an even, it's got like a silver colour to it. Instead of the grey or the white or the blue, this one is like silver. You know, we talk about that. I mean, I haven't even seen that one. I, you know, everyone's seen pictures of, of the box of it online and stuff, but I haven't seen that. So that, no, that's really interesting. I mean, I wasn't even going, gonna go into depth with regards to the Darth Vader's, the Darth Vader one, um, the, the TIE Interceptor, Die Cast or anything like that. No, I just wanted a stick with the gents. But the fact that that color may be slightly more screen accurate, apart from your blue Empire Strikes Back one. Now, really interesting. Now, when we talk about the original TIE Fighter, what else made it so special for a kid from a playability point of view? What did it have? The wings popping off. Wings popping off. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, really, really nice. Anything else? Lights and sound. Lights. Do you know, right, here we go, nerdy question for you. How is the light described, or the sound even? Something like a dramatic red light or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a dramatic light. Yeah. And, and the noise, the standard sort of noise which you would get on a, on a Kenner vehicle. Screeching, something like that. Whining noise. Whining, uh, that's yeah, so whining. These were sell, sales features. It comes with a whining noise and a dramatic light. I mean, that, that's definitely, definitely got me. Um, what's really interesting about this, though, not only is the fact that it looks amazing, He's got himself something really, really special. I asked him about the textual error, about the fact that it says, you know, comes with an X-Wing in, inside. He informed me that his is correctly stated is the TIE Fighter inside, which goes against what I've read online. So that's something which I definitely want to look into a little bit more. But what's even cooler is that he's got something really different, or in my opinion anyway, that he said his was never sealed with tape ever. So forget your mint and sealed box. His was never sealed as in tape. There are no tape marks at all. It was shrink-wrapped. It was shrink-wrapped with cellophane. And that makes it a fairly rare piece if it was still shrink-wrapped. Uh, his doesn't have the shrink-wrap anymore, obviously, because he, he, you know, he, he's seen what the state of this is like. But what does make it a little bit special, it comes with German instructions. Now, Holger's got a bit of a theory about, about this, that he thinks that the boxes were sent to Germany from the manufacturer and then the instructions added after the instructions had been printed in Germany and then when the instructions were put in that's when the whole box was sealed and to me that makes perfect sense have any of you heard of this sort of process before? Nah, not for me okay I mean for, for, the, for the start the whole textual error just uh, confused me slightly but the fact that I haven't seen any boxes which didn't have any evidence of tape marks so to me he's just got himself an absolute gem not only is the box looking cracking the piece itself brings back so many memories you know for people who were lucky enough to have one of those as a kid i definitely didn't but i would have loved one um and it's in such great nick with the german instructions and the fact that it didn't have any tape residue on whatsoever i think he's got himself a really really great piece and and one which I would naturally be dead chuffed with. Holger, mate, that's awesome. Jez, I was just looking online. Yep. And I've seen one 
built for similar for about £205, but they, there's one that's been AFA graded. It's a Kenner Empire Strikes Back, so it's not a Star Wars one. Yep. For two grand. 2000 We could almost buy our own ship for that. <laughs> Here's the Star Wars X-Wing fighter and the Star Wars TIE fighter. Spaceships and Luke Skywalker sold separately. Batteries not included. I'll get you this time. Reactivate X-Wings. Both with flashing lights and sound. A hit. There go the solar panels. And Darth Vader got away. Force is with me. Luke Skywalker wins again. Kenner's Star Wars X-Wing fighter, TIE fighter, and action figures all sold separately. So moving on and just now moving away from Star Wars Forum UK, started to look at the Facebook groups. There are so many. I mean, I've just joined another one tonight on Grant's recommendation. However, it was Pete who pointed out to me some bootleg cardbacks on Facebook on the Star Wars International Vintage Collectors Group, which had been put up by Todd G. Aganti. And I, I hope I've pronounced your name correctly there, Todd. And I'm just bringing this one up now. These are crazy-looking cardbacks. He just said, look, I don't really know anything about these. What's going on? Can anyone give me some more information? I think, what was this perfect line? Now need some help, gang. I've got these cardbacks and a lot, and I've got no idea what they are. Please forgive if someone probably not, they might not even be vintage. Heck, some might be trash for all I know. Anyone anyway, know what I got? I mean, how cracking is that? This guy put something up thinking this might just be absolute junk. Straight away, people are liking it, suggesting people to talk about them. And then people are saying it looks like bootlegs. I'm sure then someone sent a message to Joe White who then just came straight on. He's just said exactly what they were. Is 80s Mexican car back with the R2. This talks about another one with a Luke X-Wing. It just goes on and on. It just shows Joe's understanding and knowledge and how great that these groups can be because he's just come in straight away and just gave him all the information which he needed, which then naturally allowed this guy to move them on and put them into someone else's hands. Pete, you saw that Todd then put them up on eBay, didn't he? Yeah, he had them all on eBay. He had a big car back collection going. A few, mostly sort of Kenner and normal car backs, but a few foreign ones that went for ridiculous amounts of money. I mean, the, the, but the funniest one was the, the one which reminds, reminds me of Stuart. It was a, it had Star War and had like, <laughs> kind of like, um, slightly badly drawn other Marvel character. If you go into any old Marvel comics, especially the, the British ones, they had, um, a sort of introductory page of all the characters. And uh, they were always kind of badly drawn. And R2-D2, all the wrong colours. He's out yellow with what is mostly white. And again, badly drawn. But in, in, a, in a charming way. And uh, on the bottom it's got La Guerra La Galaxas. So it, 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 they're just, it's just the most ridiculous looking card ever. But at the same time, has that sort of, I don't know, kind of Central American-y kind of Mexican charm to it. But yeah, I think it went for 65 quid in the end, that, that Star War one. It might not even be Star War. When you look at it, it could be Stap War, because um, <laughs> I, know, I know that Joe had said about how often these, these bootlegs, in, and when they were produced unlicensed, they would change change the word or change something or other, so it would look very much like it. You know, people would get the idea, but they couldn't get done. Now, the way they've got the, the images, I'm looking at that one you were just describing now, and it's got Luke's face, which looks more like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, just there sort of superimposed on top of what you think you're looking at star war but actually you're just not making out the bottom of the r so it could actually just be a stap war 
I mean, I don't know. The the R2 looks crazy. The Han Solo, I guess that's Han Solo, looks more like the Incredible Hulk to me, um, just before Dr. David Banner, just before he turns. And the rest of them, I mean, C-3PO has got a look of utter surprise on his face. And they are just completely crazy, wacky-looking cards. I got a message from Todd the other day uh, when I was just asking him about them. He said that the first one was sold for $100. So, yeah, you said about £65 or so, didn't you, the cartoon one. The more realistic one was $50, and the other two failed to sell. I think they had a starting price of about 25 So That's quite surprising, really, given the boost that they had on Facebook and the fact that a lot of people were looking at it. I'm sure that if he actually relisted those, he would get them sold. Anyone here interested in collecting sort of bootleg car backs? I was almost going to buy that. I was so close to buying it. But the fact I spent a ridiculous amount of money on these other car backs, kind of, when I found out he had other ones to say, he had, a huge, he had about 60, 70 odd car backs going. And I was, oh, just so close. But it does attract me those, those kind of awful looking bootlegs, the, you know, the car backs. I mean, maybe the figures, maybe not my thing, but yeah, I've, I, I definitely contemplate it. Yeah. Really, really cool. Really interested. And, and thanks for pointing it out. Once again, if anyone does see anything which they think is really, really cool and you want us to look into it a little bit more or discuss, please give us a shout. Lads, the last thing I want to discuss on the latest acquisitions is, Grant, you had an engineering sample put up on page 1689 of Stars Forum UK. This is where I'm completely spent now, guys. Engineering samples, engineering pilots. I'm just slightly confused. Now, I'm looking at some information. I've got Gus and Duncan's Guide to Prototypes, where they're talking a little bit about engineering pilots, because I have to say, you can tell that I know nothing about this. So this is an element which I want to add called Request for Information. You know, we're going to be discussing some stuff and actually saying, you know what, if we don't know about it, please just email in, send us a message, because we'd love to know more. And then we'll be able to follow this up in next month's podcast. So, Grant, you've bought it. You've got it. Tell me everything you know about this engineering sample, buddy. Um, don't want to disappoint you, Jez, but I don't actually know that much about it. This is a leap of faith purchase. So I bought it from a uh, Star Wars toy dealer from the States. Thankfully, Vince put me onto it. And this gentleman has a history of buying items from former Kenner employees. He said that he didn't actually know what it was, and he can't. he couldn't originally disclose the name of the Kenner employee that he got it from which obviously causes problems because that is essential to discovering one, if these things are legit and two, what the purpose of these engineering samples were. But after I purchased the item and he sent me the COA for it, he did message me and tell me the name of the engi- of the Kenner engineer. So I've been able to research that with other prototype collectors and they say, yes, there was a Kenner engineer who, who, who went by that name. But as for what it is, I'm still unsure and I'm still researching it. Now, what is unique about it, it's a standard production figure. So it's gonna, ha- it's got the Hong Kong CRO on the back, which is prevalent throughout the TIE Fighter pilot range. It's got some red paint on its feet, and it's got the number 16. So it's basically a production figure with the number 16 on it. But the CRO says that it came from a collection that also ye- yielded two additional sa- pilot samples, and uh, I can confirm that one of those was a Hoff Stormtrooper, the other one was a Yoda. And it has the production dates on the back of the leg. It's got minimal paint wear. There's the number 16 on the bottom of the foot, written in black ink. 
and apparently, according to the CRO, that these early samples were used to test the integrity of the paint masks and durability over time. They were usually production pieces that were numbered. That's that's basically the rundown of it. So it's basically a production figure that, that is used for testing. Why it has red paint on the feet, I'm unsure. I've actually run this past Kim Simmons, and he doesn't recognize it at all. Oh, wow. So I guess at the moment, as you say, leap of faith is entirely what you've done. You, you've got this sample. You're, you're hoping that it's all completely legit. But to you, it just looks like a production figure with a painted foot and the number 16. Uh, well, the name of the Kenner Engineer checks out. Yeah. Uh, it's just finding out what role that engineer played. But a lot of these are, are based on where you get them from and whether it's traceable. The unfortunate thing is that it's, normally you would speak to the Kenner employee himself or contact him himself, but he's passed away, and this came via his widow. So that's created more problems. But I've got a few guys out there who collect first shots and prototypes and stuff like that who are keeping an eye out and doing a bit of research for us. So hopefully be able to come back. But it'd be great if anyone who's listening to the podcast has some idea of what it was or what it isn't. Anyone else know anything about engineering samples? Or can even enlighten me on the old engineering pilot? Yeah, Grant, actually, you brought up an interesting question. I'm going to come back to a point that you've made. Um, but before this Max Webster auction, I was always under the impression that the number, I think Grant referred to the number 16, I was always under the impression that the number was written on the bottom of a foot. But if you look at some of the engineering pilots on the Max Webster auctions, the numbers are written in different places. And it was interesting to me to read on the thread that these numbers have been found everywhere. They've been found on the fronts of the figures, the backs on the figures. I think there's one on the back of a Yoda's head somewhere in somebody's collection. So as Grant said, really, it's it's the provenance is key to this. If you can't trace it back, it, then it's really it is little value just because it's got a number on it. But correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but wasn't the engineering pilot's job to be used to test out things like packaging and how it would look when it's placed in a box and what would it look like behind a blister on a card. Is that correct? Is that the purpose of the engineering pilot? Gus and Duncan have got two different comments in their book with regards to a bagged engineering pilot. And then engineering pilot EP, a generic package samples of either the box, car back or vehicle playset or figure, can I use these EPs to ensure that toys fit snugly within the packaging? Engineering pilots were typically made of plain white cardboard cut to the dimensions of the final product. And then it, it goes on about a specific Ewok glider. So, I mean, it completely shows my ignorance. When people were making references to an engineering pilot, initially I was thinking, oh, right, okay, well, maybe that one didn't make the cut. We had a B-wing pilot, an A-wing pilot, a TIE fighter pilot, and poor old engineering pilot didn't make it. Oh, well, so, yeah, as Grant said, if anyone else can provide us with any other information, that would be awesome. Hey, down there. Could you give us a hand with this? Right, can, can I go back to another point that Grant made, which is really interesting? You've mentioned red paint on the bottom of the foot. Now, I've probably had about 200 loose figures in the last year. And of those 200 loose figures, I'm going to say probably about five of them have had red painted feet. And when I first mentioned it to one of the guys, he said, oh, it'll be kids painting them when they were when they were young. So I think I probably sold them all on. I might have an IG-88, possibly a TIE fighter pilot lying around somewhere still with red feet. But when I'm thinking about how many of these figures were actually made, and out of my sample of 200, five of them, that's a pretty high amount 
for them all to come from different collections and all have the same kind of standard red paint on the bottom of the feet. Is there anything more to this red paint? Perhaps is it, is it just paint that's worn off the bottom of the feet? For example, of the IG-88, if I sanded the feet down on the IG-88, would I see red underneath it? I, I don't know. I think it's more likely for those things it's mum's nail varnish. Mum's nail varnish. So you could tell your figures from another's when you were playing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It possibly is. I mean, I must admit, I haven't, I haven't put two so close to each other and had a look at them, but... In, in my mind, they've all been a similar kind of colour, but yeah, I suppose that, that's as possible as anything I've heard. If you've got any for sale, Rich, I'll buy them off you for hundreds of pounds. Hundreds of pounds? What about it's got red on its feet, mate. Um, I'm in. I'm all game for that. Right. If I wrote the number 16 on the back of a head, would you pay more? Yep, absolutely. No doubt about it. Champion. I'll sort of see you out for you. So, that completes this month's latest acquisitions. Thanks very much to everyone who's given me permission to talk about their items. It's been great to find out more about them. Really, really interesting. I look forward to checking out all the forums and Facebook groups for next month. Cheers, lads. Okay, guys, welcome to this month's event section. Uh, here I am with family member of the podcast, Dan Burgess. Dan, welcome to the, back to the podcast. Thank you. Dan, what did you make of the Watford uh, Comic Con? Uh, I thought it was, uh, it, weren't, it weren't bad, was it? It was okay. There was um, plenty of cosplayers there, lots of Star Wars there in terms of um, costume. The figure 501st was there. There was plenty of people hanging around outside. In terms of vintage, there weren't a great deal there. I think there was one stall... Um, knocking some stuff out. Um, that was that was a good store for you, though, wasn't it? That um, you managed to pick up two items from there. Yeah, I got a. Uh, what did I get? I got my ESB vehicle maintenance energizer and a split belly tom-tom. And that am I right in saying that that finish it finishes your toy run of ESB? Yeah, in terms of all the um, vehicles and playsets and monsters, yeah, it's uh, it's, uh, it's it was it was good in that respect. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's nice to made it made it memorable. Anyways. Are you going to go for the extremely rare ESB Kenner crochet sets? Yeah, I was looking at those. They're really latch books, are they called? Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're really rare. And if you want to start getting onto them, I've got two myself. I find them really tricky to come across. But um, I definitely think you need to move on to more Empire Strikes Back products now. I have got a safe search on eBay from it. It did come up from time to time. I was looking at a Vader one the other day. Ah, okay. Well, I look yeah, forward to that. What, what, other, <laughs> what other highlights do you think of from Watford? Uh, oh, I can't remember her surname. The girl from Game of Thrones, she calls a bit of a stir, didn't she? Josephine. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like a prostitute in, the, uh, in Game of Thrones. So, yeah, I was getting a bit excited by her 10x8s, and I think uh, Spanish Dan was going to have a was gonna have a chat with her and then got near her store and <laughs> turned around and walked away when he saw what she was uh, having signed. <laughs> Naked 8x10s, yeah, that was a bit shocking. That's one of the things I thought Watford had that was good was the... Um, you know, the for the autograph hunters, there was a lot of considering it's such. Oh, there's only one small room. There was a lot of people there to get autographs from. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I really the one I wanted to get was uh, me enlisting, but unfortunately, he wasn't. He wasn't there. I think he's at London Film and Comic Con next month, so I might try and get one then. But the other guy we met, um, uh, Christopher Monk, do you pronounce his surname? Um, he played Captain Cargi in The New Hope. Um, he was a real. He was really good fun. We all we had a photo done with him, and I think he got about. Four autographs out of it. He was a he was a good guy. Yeah, I think I'll definitely put an insert in now of a quote from him from A New Hope. 
There's no one on board, sir. According to the log, the crew abandoned ship right after takeoff. It must be a decoy, sir. Several of the escape pods have been jettisoned. Did you find any droids? No, sir. If there were any on board, they must also have jettisoned. Send a scanning crew aboard. I want every part of this ship checked. Yes, sir. I sense something. A presence I've not felt since... Get me a scanning crew in here on the double. I want every part of this ship checked. At the end of the day, it was only one room, so it's hard to be critical of something that was so small, yet, you know, they've obviously put a lot of work into it. Mm. So I think, I don't know, I think it was a, a success. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd go again, definitely. If we were doing it again next year, I'd, uh, I'd be along for the ride. It was, uh, it was a, good, a good day. Excellent. And you, are you going to go to London Film and Comic Con next month? That's what I'm, I'm up, the plan is now to go and get, to go to that, because I had such a good time now, and I've, uh, I've, I don't know if I've got the autograph bug again now or not, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm considering it. It's 19th of July, isn't it, I think? Yeah, well, they're celebrating 35 years of Empire Strikes Back, and have just added about 10 new Empire Strikes Back, uh, actors on there, so yeah, yeah I'm definitely going for three days. Yeah, I fancy, uh, Admiral Pierce's autograph. Kenneth Connor, yeah, that's a good one yeah, to get, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. All right, well, Dan, cheers for coming on, man, and uh, maybe we could do this next month when we get back from London Film and Comic Con. Yeah, no worries. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Okay, some up-and-coming conventions through the summer. On June 20th, we have Doctor Who Cares 2 in Slough. June 20th also sees Dale Con 3 in Watchdale. June 21st, Sci-Fi by the Sea in Hearn Bay. June 23rd, Scumfall Comic Con. July 17th to 19th, London Film and Comic Con. Real special event this time as they are celebrating 35 years of Empire Strikes Back and 20 years of Back to the Future. And on July 25th, Romford Essex Sci-Fi Charity Convention. Tune in next month as we will have details for Fathers from 8. The Vintage Rebellion podcast is proud to be sponsored by Vectus Auctions Limited, collectible toy specialists. You can find them online and see forthcoming or past auction results at www.vectis.co.uk. If you have a collection you may want to get valued for sale, then you can give them a ring on 01642 750616 or email them at admin, A-D-M-I-N, at vectis.co.uk. They have two sites for drop-in visits for collections in Thornaby, Stockton-on-Tees, and their postcode is TS179JZ. And they also have a site in Whitney, Oxfordshire, and that postcode is OX281UB. If you are contacting the Oxford office, please use the phone number 01993-709-424. The last remnants of the old republic have been swept away. Don't give in to hate. That leads to the dark side. Fear will keep the local systems in line. Fear of this battle station. Strong is radio. Find what you have learned. Save you again. We will then crush the rebellion with one swift stroke. I'd like to welcome Jonathan Wilkins to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. 
Now, Jonathan, am I right in saying that you are the editor of the Star Wars Insider magazine? You have been informed correctly. I am, indeed, um, responsible for Star Wars Insider magazine. Excellent. And this uh, Star Wars Insider magazine is actually the global Star Wars magazine. It's not just the UK one. Am I right? That's true, um, although it is translated um, into French and German. Oh, right. Okay. That's strange. I know the German market is big but for French as well. Yeah, the French used to have their translation a few years ago. They stopped for a while. And of course, um, I'm sure you've noticed Star Wars is absolutely huge again. <laughs> so the French have jumped on board again and they're uh, translating the magazine for their their audience, which is lovely. It's great to see um, features we've put together with, you know, say my name, but <laughs> everything's in French. Just to give us an idea, of where did you actually come from? Where did your Star Wars journey begin? Are you sort of like a first-generation uh, Star Wars fan? Um, not quite. I didn't see... It's a very long story, but I didn't see the first movie at the cinema. I was born in 1975, so I was a little bit too young for that first movie. The second movie, I would have been five. But the tragedy was and that we were planning on going to see it, and our next-door neighbour um, had a... Um, was a policeman, and he'd confiscated a pirate version of The Empire Strikes Back, so we watched it round his. So in the meet, so I, I felt honour-bound ever since uh, to buy every single version of The Empire Strikes Back <laughs> to make up for sort of um, cheating Lucasfilm and, and Fox out of that cinema ticket for that first movie. Um, <laughs> that first showing of Empire Strikes Back. Um, and then Jedi, um, I just remember Jedi when that came out and it being on the news and everyone being incredibly excited. Very much of that era of, so it would have been Ace at the time, we used to have our times table test and spelling test in the afternoon at school um, on a Friday. And if I got Ace or above, um, that warranted a journey to the toy shop after after school, and the Star Wars figure of my choosing, which is very exciting. Even the day when I, I did well in the test, um, towards the end of the day, I, I fell ill and was sick at school. I demanded my mother take me to uh, <laughs> to the toy shop, and uh, for, I think I got Princess Leia in her Hoth gear on that particular day. But I, I can remember vividly going into the toy shop and the Return of the Jedi figures first coming in and um, uh, seeing Luke in his Jedi outfit. They had two. The shopkeeper's son had one of them and I had the other and it was just incredibly exciting because, of course, younger viewers won't believe this or younger listeners might not believe this, but we didn't know what was coming <laughs> as kids. So it was like, wow, Luke wearing an all-black outfit. What's that about? What's going on? Um, you know, and, and meticulously looking at the packaging, trying to figure out what the story might be, getting very confused. Um, characters like General Maydine, who came with a mm. funny little stick, and I, I thought he was a Jedi of some sort, because he had this funny little, I thought that was a lightsaber, and I thought Squidhead was a Jedi, because obviously he's wearing those robes. So the various things like that, and also around that same time, I can, I can have very strong memories of a friend's dad coming back from America, a business trip. Remember, back in those days, the world was so much bigger, because, you know, we were, we were younger, mm. and there wasn't the internet, there wasn't, you know, if you wanted to talk to someone in America, it was an expensive phone call, or a right. sending, an e you know, sending an email, sending a letter uh, out. So I remember this, this kid's dad, Richard, his name was, him, and he came in one day, and he said, my dad brought me this back from America, and it was the Emperor's Royal Guard, and we were just minds blown, <laughs> you know, like, wow, what's this? And it, I think it was one of the first ones I'd seen, certainly, that had proper cloth 
Right. It, was a, it was a beautiful figure, that one. It, it, it's quite different from the other ones, the way the helmet was sculpted and stuff. It was So, yeah, so it, that, that was kind of where it all started for me. What, what do you think it is? I mean, I've asked this question to a lot of people, but it does seem that uh, Kenner seemed to have bottled lightning when it came to the merchandise that they released with the original trilogy. Does you know still has a legacy today? What do you think? What What do you think that they did there that was so right? Uh, I think what they did was everything. Um, I think the packaging was fantastic. Yeah. The images chosen on the front of the packaging, I thought, were, were really cleverly done because they're kind of shots from the movie or they're really odd shots, strange shots. One of the weirdest things, and, and I don't know if you guys have ever discussed this, but I've, I've to this day, thought it was weird. And I've asked Steve Sansweet, and he doesn't know, is what's the deal with the shot of Obi-Wan on the original packaging where he's holding that lightsaber? And it looks like it's been photoshopped. It looks really odd. Yeah. Um, but they didn't have that technology then, so, and it's a picture I've never seen before, and it's very strange. The stuff on the back, um, the images on the back of all the toys you could buy, you know, all the figures you could buy, you know, significantly, it wasn't just the lead characters, it was those background characters. Mm. So you could put more store, you know, you could use your imagination, what was Hammerhead's story, um, <laughs> and things like that, you know, so you weren't just dealing with the main, the main, uh, characters as such. And then there was the, the fact that on the when I think it was when Return of the Jedi came out, there were the certain figures were blacked out. Yeah, I remember they put it up, and I just remember thinking, "What are they? <laughs> What's that?" Well, it turns out it was the Ewoks. I think it was. There was uh, my memory is it was the Ewoks that were blacked out on the back, but it, it sort of created an awful lot of excitement. And yeah, it, it was just that thing. That there's something magical about seeing them all on the toy, you know, the toy racks hanging there, very accessible. I remember getting into an awful amount of trouble. Um, again, as a kid, I was shopping with my mum, and I went into the toy toy store because I saw Luke Skywalker in Bespin fatigues, which is the best costume for Luke Skywalker. I just love it. And I went in and picked it up, and I realised my mum wasn't there, and I, so I got lost at the tender age of five. I think I must have been in the shopping centre. And, you know, it's the usual thing. They put the tannoy on and, you know, there's a missing child. Eventually got reunited with my mum and she was furious and I got slap legs and all that stuff. And I said, yeah, yeah, but can we go and get that figure? That was all, that was the single-minded thing as a child. I just wanted that, that particular figure because it was so cool. Yeah, that's why, that's why I never understood as a child, like, you know, that, that it always had to go back. I didn't know whether it was the collect all 12 or collect all 30 on the back of the card, but it was always sort of like a main focus to get Star Wars figures. And, you know, I was hoping it'd be, you know, 30 years later, I was hoping it'd be over by now, but it's still there. <laughs> no, it never goes away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the figures are a lot more expensive now than they used to be, unfortunately, but there we are. Um, did you actually, you know, obviously you go after your childhood, many of us left Star Wars and, you know, went through schools and, and whatever. What, what hooked you back into Star Wars or was you, were you always a fan of it? Well, I remember the dark days of, um, where, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, I'll be, I'll be get letters, but, um, I remember the days where I did abandon Star Wars briefly for Masters of the Universe. Um, <laughs> which didn't last long because film came out and it was awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not. I mean, it's it's one of those things that, that there was, you know, like the, like with any kid, you know, you you'll be into something and you, it will have all your attention, and then in, inevitably it'll fall away and you'll move on. But Star Wars, it sort of it never really went away. 
I mean, it became, you know, as is true for a lot of people, I'm sure, it, it dimmed a lot in the late 80s. Because, you know, there were other things and you kind of... But there wasn't that thing that was an ongoing thing. Like Roger Rabbit, for example. You know, I loved going to see it, but that wasn't like a, a franchise that, you know, g- sort of kept me going. It, it, mm. it was one movie, one and done, and then move on to the next thing. And so, and Star Wars, there was always that thought that, yeah, there could be more of them and, you know, it can come back. So I guess, sure. I mean, when it, when it came back in 97, to me, that was the big sort of, oh yeah, I love this movie. It's really cool. It's, and it was great seeing it back on the big screen and it was great. And, and that, I think, sort of relit the fire that was just sort of burning, maybe not as brightly as it had before. Interestingly, you know, back in 1997 when the special editions come out. Now, I remember just before that, it must have been, uh, I'm thinking it's early 1996, where I went into WH Smith as a Star Wars fan and saw the UK Star Wars magazine for the first time, which I think is, you know, the beginning of where the insider came from in the, in relation to the UK. That's right, yeah. I had uh, Darth Vader on the front cover and a bookmark, and then the oh, second yes. one had Leia, I think, with a bookmark, and then C-3PO with a bookmark, and this was the beginning. I was like, wow, you know, Star Wars is not... Star Wars is actually... You can buy a magazine for it now. This is incredible, you know, to think they would... Because before then, it was, it was, you know, you were hoping you had, you had micro-machines at best, or backups <laughs> at best, and now it's actually... Yeah. It's now been legitimized by having a magazine. Uh, did, were you, you know, as your journey comes towards the Star Wars Insider magazine, were you a fan of the magazine then? Did you pick it up that early, or is it something I, you come across later on? I still have my bookmarks to this day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's it's cause it was as the bit as the hype was building for the special editions, you knew it was coming back, and and so yeah, you naturally wanted to know um, what was going on and what 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 uh, George was up to what Lucasfilm were up to with these new movies and where that was going to lead because you know and obviously and don't forget there's also there were Shadows of the Empire which yeah. um, which is going I don't know if it feels like it's been slightly forgotten but it, it certainly sort of um, a, a sort of very interesting sort of precursor to the the full return of Star Wars there um, so yeah absolutely I used to to get the um, uh, the UK Star Wars magazine I absolutely loved it I thought it was uh, it was the right sort of mix they had some UK UK only articles but some you know things that I mean the thing with Star Wars as well is that there's something about it that it gives you a real thirst for knowledge you want to know all the details all the information mm. all the you know right down to what what sort of um brand of tea they had at the tea breaks you know <laughs> it's uh, it's um so the, the magazine absolutely does cater for that and uh, you know hopefully it still does it still offers that for people that that just want to know stuff about Star Wars, that, that that's a yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think if my um if my voxel vector broke down, I wouldn't know what to do with it. But if my Y wing broke down, I'd know exactly how to fix it. Is that true? Um, <laughs> so, so your own personal journey then is was your own personal journey sort of like headed towards journalism? Um, well, yes, it took a while to get there. I have to say, um, it really, I mean, at that point, let's see. So yeah, that we. It was. It was sort of film journalism. Um, I was interested in movies, but didn't want to work on movies because the, the process of making movies, as, as we've often heard, isn't always mm. the most exciting thing to do, and it, it's often just absolutely traumatic. 
you know, as, as we've heard from George's experiences on the first Star Wars movie. Yeah. So I thought, well, you know, it, it's like those, those that can't write about. So <laughs> I thought best to write about them, uh, write about movies. Um, so I, t- I took that route really. Um, I never thought I'd end up on a Star Wars magazine. That that certainly wasn't a plan at that point. But it certainly, yeah, I certainly thought, well, maybe one day I'll get to review a Star Wars movie or write an article on a Star Wars movie. Wow. It's, um, yeah, but when I was actually uh, researching, I didn't know, because um, back in the early 90s, you could get the Star Wars Insider magazine in some place like Forbidden Planet. That's right, yeah. It was, um, I mean, it, it was... It was important because I did have I did have a couple of issues I think, but it was you know <laughs> again it was far enough back in time that getting those sort of imports wasn't that easy. Yeah. Um, you know, you'd occasionally see something and you'd snap it up in a Forbidden Planet or a or a, a comic store, but it wasn't. Um, it certainly wasn't sort of a thing you could do. You could walk into any shop and buy. Right. Exactly. And, and yeah. do, do you ever come across Star Wars Outsider in the UK? No. Star Wars Outsider? Yeah, I only had one issue of it, and it was a fan club uh, magazine by the Falcon Society, which was like a big fan club for Star Wars, like a grassroots <laughs> fan club in the 90s. And I've only got one issue of it, but I guess, you know, I think it was only when I was thinking about doing this interview that I was relating the name from Insider to Outsider, and I thought, wow, I wonder if that was their angle. <laughs> it must have been, yeah. Wow. No, I've, I've honestly never heard of that. That's great. That's <laughs> Star Wars Outsider. Is it true that, that the roots of Star Wars Insider actually do come from vintage collecting, and that's from Banffer tracks? Uh, absolutely, yeah. That's the the first when we did our um, 150th issue last year. It, that was absolutely we were looking back on those old Banffer tracks. And, where it all started, and gosh, it was uh, it was great. Like just you know, I mean, it was real sort of um, kind of photocopied leaflet type thing at the very start, and then it sort of you can see it become more professional as it goes through, and more you know, catering for what is obviously a, a, a building audience. And yeah, it, it's it's lovely. I mean, it, it's almost like those first banter tracks are like um, a sort of almost like an early little internet forum sort of thing. Mm. You know, with with the information coming up in little news pieces and little interviews and stuff, it's, it's lovely. So, would, would it be fair to say that that the I'm not sure when Banffer Track started was it in 1982, maybe something like that? Banffer Track, yes, maybe. Um, yeah, it was because it was the build up to Return of the Jedi. Right. Okay. So this this is legacy of the Star Wars Insiders. Actually, all the way it's carried on from the early 80s. It's probably one of the only things that's that's continued throughout the sort of Star Wars legacy. Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, you think of Tops and um, oh, yeah, yeah, Tops. Um, uh, Del Rey, of course. Their books have, uh, you know, they, they've been there since the start. But yeah, it's it's one of those things. You know, it's Star Wars is what you might call an evergreen, and that it's always it's always there. Sometimes it's it's not quite as popular. I mean, it's it's more popular now than it's ever been, but. Obviously, there there was that point in the you know towards the end of the eighties where it was a movie that people really liked but didn't necessarily collect because mm. there wasn't really anything to collect at that point. I think it was, and I think to a certain extent, Lucasfilm did put it into a sort of hibernation, if you like, just to sort of regroup their efforts and uh, decide what they were going to do next. But it's interesting because it it does now span you know like we like we discussed over forty years. 
you have multiple generations of Star Wars fans. Do you find this is something uh, that you have to cater for or be aware of whilst producing the magazine? Well, yeah, and it's it's <laughs> in some ways it makes it really difficult because um, I mean, obviously, the magazine we would never have anything that was not suitable for kids in it. You mm. know, we, we would never have anything sort of adult content, as it were. It's a very broad church, Star Wars. I mean, there's there's you know, like I say, there's kids, and then there will be much much older people, um, and trying to decide what to put in can be very difficult because um, we have we, we do say to ourselves every so often well every issue could be somebody's first issue of the magazine and they might not know who IGHEA is or um, who Bosk is or you know what's going on in the cantina and all that stuff and you kind of think well we do need to you know get those guys on board as well and make sure they're catered for and that we're not just ploughing in and, and and sort of catering simply for a simply for a, an audience who knows all this stuff you know people like you and I who are who, or, you know know it off by heart virtually you know it's um so it is a difficult thing hopefully we get the balance right with the new film coming up we probably will sort of maybe cater a little bit more for the the sort of fresh readers as it were not saying that the older readers are stale in any way <laughs> um, but yeah just to cater for the um for the new people that are coming on board because you know there, there really are a lot of uh, new fans out there that are getting excited about the new movie people you know kids obviously these days their entry point is star wars lego that that's something that we're very aware of as well right um but uh I mean, we always want to offer something that's going to give people a good read. We don't want to, you know, we we, we want to, uh, to generally make people, uh, generally cater for everyone, let's say. Is this something that you guys, you know, you and your team would do yourselves, or is this something that, because like, you, you're obviously working under the umbrella of Lucasfilm, and they will have certain things that they want to push, you know, whether it's the new Rebels coming through, or, you know, do, do you have that kind of control where you can go to the consumer and say this is our understanding of where we want the magazine to be or do they have a, a strict framework in which you could you have to work in um well we we basically just all come up with ideas and, and go from there and generally you know there's no such thing as a bad idea really um so no it just it, yeah really it, it's you know good ideas come from all quarters doesn't matter where it comes from and we we go from there it's not um we'll have ideas of, of where we can see things going obviously the guys at lucasfilm um they're very tuned into what fans want so um we're very happy to be guided and they're they're always happy to take suggestions excellent okay one of the things i have noticed ever since the disney uh, have acquired lucasfilm and i don't think it's um this is just from empirical evidence to suggest that there seems to be an emphasis to move away from the prequels. If you, if I go into the Disney store, uh, there's going to be more products from a film that was 40 years ago than a film that was just 15 years ago or even 10 years ago. Is this something that the magazine is also aware of, that there seems to be, whether it's because The Force Awakens is linked to the old trilogy or is this sort of like a decision that Lucasfilm have made in which to sort of distance themselves away from the last 15 yeah. years of prequel era stuff? I think what it is really um, is essentially the the new movies are following on from the the original trilogy. So it seems to me to make sense that you would have that 
that's the connection there. I mean, there's no sense of the prequel trilogy being abandoned in any way or or sort of um, de-emphasised. Um, you know, it's still incredibly popular. We, we're still doing features and we get, quite frankly, we get more feedback on our um, prequel era features than we do uh, on our original trilogy features. We got people have, you know, there's still a lot to say about the prequel trilogy, I think. And, and um, I mean, in the latest issue of the magazine, we've got a, we've got an article sort of reevaluating Jar Jar, who's obviously a, a controversial figure mm. in the start in the saga. But um, you know, I, I think you have to remember that um, that the uh, prequel trilogy is in fairly recent memory. It's it's not. I mean, it, yes, it was you know a few years back, but it's not an awfully long time back and, not, and I think as well the, the things like the Clone Wars you know that's almost like the prequel era you know well that is say in the prequel era so all that I think is is part of the same period of Star Wars and the Clone Wars obviously is incredibly popular still yeah the amount of people I know that have watched the Clone Wars and they're it's their favourite thing it's like well forget everything else this, this show's phenomenal yeah 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 I completely agree with you it was um, I think that was prevalent uh uh, Anaheim when uh, Captain Rex joined the Rebels you know seemed to get one of the yeah. observations of the entire um, convention well absolutely and I think the, the whole um, storyline in Rebels with um, Ahsoka coming back and Captain Rex it, it's there's no sort of question that, that that comes from the absolute love and adoration people have for the Clone Wars so you know people love those characters it's funny to think, I remember the time when Ahsoka first turned up in uh, the Clone Wars and, um, <laughs> and pe- people were not sure about her at all. It was, you know, why do we need her? What's she got? And now she's 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 the standout character of the show and people love her. And, you know, the cheers when she came back yeah. um, uh, in Rebels. Um, you know, it's... it's uh, <laughs> It's kind of it's it's that interesting thing of when you're a fan of something you're very sort of territorial about it and proprietary you know you you want um you got your own view of how things should be but then somehow with Star Wars it has a way of turning things around and you oh yeah no that's yeah, Ahsoka of course yeah brilliant great character well, I think that was one of the trademarks wasn't it of Star Wars was continually shifting the ground in which you were secure on whether it came to brothers and sisters and you know mm. fathers and stuff like that so, so you never you could never have any guarantees yeah do the do the to- do the unexpected you know kill off boba fett kill off darth maul it's not expected mm. you know they 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 become these classic characters mm. who who obviously can come back it's you know um science fantasy anything can happen one of the things i found though i mean i'm sure rebels might fill the vacuum for you, but when George Lucas was uh, the head of Lucasfilm, the Insider magazine would have articles um, every month about uh, the making of the prequels. It would have on-set shots, even if it was just uh, on-set shots of actors or people sculpting Yoda and stuff like that. It seems to be very different this time with uh, Bad Robot on board. Is that causing any kind of... um Issues when it comes to you know pushing the Force Awakens as as the next event. Not really. The thing you have to remember is everybody knows Force Awakens is coming. Right. Um, we're not interested in spoiling the movie for anyone, or because there are so you know there are so many things that could, you know images that people will pour over and they'll spot something and all oh, right that's this that. 
that we don't really want to ruin things for people. Now, give it um, the next couple of issues, you will find that there'll be Force Awakens stuff slowly creeping in until obviously we do a, a big issue around, you know, centred around it um, in December. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, rest assured, it, it, it's it's coming. But it's you know, bear in mind a picture in uh, you know for the the prequels of somebody sculpting Yoda. People know what Yoda looks like, but we don't know what Max von Sydow's character looks like. Yeah, you know, we don't know what um you know well we don't know what a lot of the characters look like in the movie. We've seen we've seen very little, and that's that's as it should be. You know, it's. The prequels, we we knew what the characters looked like. People know what you know. People knew at the time who uh, uh, Owen McGregor, Ewan McGregor looks like. Whereas with this, there are more, there are surprises, and you know they want to keep the surprises under under you know under their hat, as it were. And I'm fine with that because you know there, there's various things coming up that um, I'm very excited that we'll have in the magazine. But just just you know, just you wait. Yeah. <laughs> now the, the the UK Star Wars magazine, as I believe it used to be to- called, and then you had Star Wars Insider in in the states. Now they're now they're all together as one. How how did that happen? Because you know, obviously there was uh, the Star Wars Insider had been around for many years more than the UK Star Wars magazine. Yeah. The well, it's just a case of of sort of licenses are awarded to. Um, Various companies, and I think because we'd been doing the the UK magazine, um, we were sort of in the frame. I mean, we've we've <laughs> we've changed the issue numbering um, with issue 150, right, to bring the UK in line with the US. Okay, yeah. Um, so so now that's all. Everyone's on the same <laughs> on the same page, um, as it were. Which you know, I, th- I think. You know, just to reassure UK readers, you're not missing any issues there. Um, there's just been a leap forward in the issue numbers, which um, I just think is it seems right, rather than because it's quite confusing having those different issue numbers. So, uh, one of the one of the, I don't know if you agree, probably agree with me on this. One of the things I like about the magazine in sort of like a digital age is that the magazine sort of encapsulates the. Uh, what's happening in Star Wars at that period of time? It's like a historical mm. journal. Yes, yeah. you know, online things just you know once they're gone, they're gone. They're just pushed down to you know the dark part of the internet, and it's a uh, it's a forum thread that won't be bumped for another ten years. Whereas the magazine itself, this is what's happening in June 2015 in the world yeah. of Star Wars, and I think that's you know that's a real strength of it. I think so. I think you're right, and also. Um Star Wars fans that you know generally like to collect, and there's something nice about having a collection of the magazines and you know sitting down on a Saturday afternoon and you know with a big pile of them and looking back over the last couple of years and seeing what's been happening and sort of reminding yourself, oh wow, that happened mm. you know, last this time last year, such and such happened, and it's it's quite nice to have that collection. Um, you know, I've, I've Got here. I've got my my binders with all my copies of the magazine in, and uh, it's it's sort of uh, it's nice to have and scatter them across the floor and look at all the covers. Yeah. <laughs> is there is there any uh, particular articles that you've uh, either produced or the magazine has produced or you've written or investigated that you just thought, wow, this is you know ph- uh, phenomenal 
or exciting piece of work? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, I mean, it's it's always fun to interview cast members, right? Uh, cast and crew members. That's you know, I, I've I used to try and do all of them, but I've I've now sort of let other writers have a go. But <laughs> um, you know, talking to people like Dave Filoni is always fun. Um, yeah. My favourite piece, I think, was I was lucky enough to interview Mark Hamill, right? Which was which was you know just uh, you know as you might imagine, sort of a bit of a, a bit of a dream. Yeah, <laughs> um, th- that's been fun. Um, I'm really enjoying. There's a there's an ongoing feature we do called the Authors of the e- Authors of the EU, although we changed it to um, Legendary Authors, where we have. Um, sort of various writers who've written expanded universe pieces or comics or books or whatever, and they all they'll sort of basically talk about their experiences. And we've had some lovely ones. We've got a nice three-part feature on um, the making of Dark Empire at the moment, which is oh wow, the old which is Tom Tom what's his name Tom 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 Veach and yeah. um, Cam Kennedy. Um, oh, that was amazing back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we're lucky enough to be able to get hold of lots of sketches and script notes and things so we can really um you know we can really uh um uh give an in give a give a never before seen insight into how these things were made you know we've had alan dean foster um and again got all his script notes for the first star wars uh and things like that i think one of my favorite pieces i mean there's no one favorite thing we've done but I think I think the thing that surprised me the most, and I thought um, seemed to get a good reaction, was we we had um, we had uh, a transcript of the conference that took place between Alan Dean Foster and George Lucas um, about the splinter of the mind's eye. Wow! Um, and that's just one of my favourite pieces because it was done at a time when. Star Wars had been made but wasn't quite finished and you can tell that George Lucas was really really not very optimistic that the movie was going to be a success I think, you know, in short I think he thought it was going to be a disaster Um, and there's all various things in there where he says that you know, Darth Vader's a weak villain, Um, why is he a weak villain? Because James Earl Jones hadn't done the voice at that point yeah Um, and various things like that, and it, it's, and it shows the direction Star Wars could have gone had it, you know, been a, successful enough to to warrant a, a low budget sequel. Because the Splinter of the Mind's Eye, I'm sure all your listeners know, was written um, from the point of view that this could be a low budget Star Wars sequel should the film do okay, but not fantastic. Yeah. Wow. So. Um, so it, it's yeah that that was uh, an eye opener. That's full of full of jaw dropping moments. Amazing. Is there is there sort of like you know even with the Force Awakens now, if you could interview anyone, uh, is there anyone that sticks in mind that you'd be like oh, that would be the interview that you'd most like to do from the Force Awakens or just just anyone in the Star Wars? Oh universe? wow. Uh, oh, I know. Uh, I know. Luke Skywalker would be big for me. You know, like yeah. I say, I I don't even think of Mark Hamill. I think it's Luke Skywalker. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Gosh, if I could interview anyone, I think 
I mean, the thing is, it would be great to have a few, a, a couple of hours to sit down and talk to George Lucas. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, he's still he's still the man, really, as far as I'm concerned. He's he's the guy that started it all, created it all. So I think he would probably be top of the list. Sneakily, though, um, maybe Max von Sydow. Right. <laughs> Which I know is yeah. a kind of weird thing, cause, but I, I, and the thing is, as much as I'd ask him about Star Wars, I think I'd probably ask him quite a bit about um, Flash Gordon. Right. Being the Merciless, because that was... You know, one of the movies that came out when I was a kid and I absolutely adored. But I've, I actually, I have just thought of the person who I would most like to talk to from the Star Wars universe. But unfortunately, it's, it's too late. And that'd be obviously Christopher Lee. Yeah, I mean, that's just sitting down with him for a couple of hours, just talking about his entire life would just be fascinating. The word legend is used too, too frequently in someone... Like Christopher Lee, that's you know the type of person where that would uh, that name should probably be reserved for. Mm, and obviously, very sad of him passing this week. Yeah. Um, you talked about you know you have these um, articles like the the legends of the EU. Um, there's other articles as well which I thought were interesting within the Insider. Is there any anything that sticks out there that you really look forward to every month to to sort of like see uh, see how it evolves or or what is actually produced from it? Yeah, there's, um, I'm always interested, let's see, the ones that really stick out. I mean, it's always interesting when you do an interview with someone who's been in Star Wars to see if they say anything new or if they, you know, because obviously, you know, these guys have been interviewed a thousand times and, you know, somebody like, um, Anthony Daniels or Peter Mayhew, these, you know, that they've kind of said their story. But every so often you'll have an interview and they'll say something new and, you know, they'll, they'll have been asked the right question, basically. Yeah. Which is always the thing with interviews. Um, it, it's a case of just coming up with those questions that they haven't been asked before. So I'm always very interested to see what some, you know, our writers come up with when they, they have the opportunity to interview people. Um, I mean, I, in terms of in the magazine, I always like Red Five at the back. I think that's um, always interesting. We get uh, we get somebody associated with Star Wars to write about five things that have to be linked things. Um, we've done sort of five funniest one-liners and five you know five favorite weapons. I think Catherine Tabor did liked her guns, <laughs> so we had five favorite weapons from the Star Wars movies. And the latest issue, I think, was a particularly good one. We had um, Chuck Wendig, who's writing the Star Wars Aftermath novel. He's he's chosen his um, five most um, his five five favourite um, Star Wars scenes that will haunt me forever. So um, the scary, the scary bits, mm. Star Wars films, of which there there are there are many. Especially for a U film, there's definitely a lot of scary moments. Well, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean we've got. Uh, I mean just to say one, um, we've got. Um, he came up with um, Empire Strikes Back, uh, the the encounter in the cave with um, Luke and, and the vision of Vader with Luke's face, mm. which which as a kid I just couldn't get my head around what you know it's a scene unlike anything else in the entire Star Wars saga. It's a really odd mo- odd sequence. 
Yeah. Um, and that was, yeah, that was, uh, so that, that was a feature I really enjoyed, uh, one of our regular features. We have that every issue. Excellent. Is it, um, does, uh, the magazine cater for, uh, sort of like the vintage Star Wars collector? Most of the people who listen to this will be collecting vintage Star Wars. And I know Mark Newbold has done many articles for StarWars.com. You know, he, he recently did, uh, the oral toothbrushes, I believe. <laughs> or beat yeah. up brushes. Is this something that you're conscious of, or something that you've you've written many articles about? In recent times, not so much. And one of the reasons being is because there's an awful lot of new Star Wars product always coming out, which which unfortunately takes precedent. Um, what I will say to your listeners is there's something coming. I think you guys are going to really like, but I can't say any more at this point. Okay, excellent. So keep keep an eye out for that one. Keep an eye out. Um, probably from issue. Where are we now? From issue one sixty. One sixty. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. I'm. I, I'm hoping it's the announcement that the Force Awakens figures will be done in a vintage looking line. <laughs> you know, as if like this is 1986 and the figures just continued. I, I, oh. Yeah. You haven't heard anything about that, have you? I, if I had, I wouldn't be allowed to say. Because <laughs> that, that would that would be that would be really good. But honestly, I um, I would also be concerned about how much money I would spend. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, that's the thing with with it. it. It'll always find ways of making you spend money. That would that would actually get me spending, to be honest, as well. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> uh, Luke Skywalker, a Jedi Master figure from The Force Awakens, looking like it was released in 1986. Well, there you go. It's that, there's no chance. I, there's nothing I'm going to be able to do to stop myself buying that. <laughs> no. End up sort of having to sell the house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Jonathan, just to sort of uh, wind this sort of interview up a little bit, um, uh, how can people actually, I know you can get the Star Wars Insider in uh, you know, places like WHMS and comic shops, but where, where would be the best place to get them? Is it worth subscribing instead? It's very much worth subscribing. Um, for subscribers we're doing, uh, you get, um, we've got a t-shirt for subscribers. Yep. Um, for when you start subscribing, and a, I think we still got some action figures left. Sadly, not vintage action figures, but uh, nevertheless, um, let's say they're vin- they'll be vintage one day. Yeah. <laughs> if you come to uh, TitanMagazines.com, that's our our website for subscribing. Uh, we're on Facebook. You've been Star Wars Insider on Facebook. Uh, we're on Twitter, and you know, by all means, getting getting contact. One of the things I do like is hearing from readers and maybe pe- maybe if you haven't bought the magazine in a while what would make you come back what would make you interested in reading the magazine again I mean all that stuff you know we're, we're making the magazine for Star Wars fans yeah so um, if we're doing something that isn't quite right or you know you think why aren't they doing you know articles on vintage collecting for example um, by all means please write in and tell us and tell us what you want to see because because we will do it absolutely, very happily. Um, you know, it's an interactive experience. So, uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to hearing from people. Excellent. Okay, Jonathan, just one last question. Um, I think this was uh, given to you when you had your panel in Anaheim, but I couldn't remember what your answer is. Uh, what is the one thing that you're looking forward to the most from Episode 7? I remember my answer. It's um, two letters, a punctuation mark, and a number, and it's BB8. That was it, yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, 
That's what everyone's looking forward to, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I'm looking. I'm, as as much as I love Star Wars, I love Luke Skywalker more. So, I'm wow. just, please, can you just give Luke Skywalker the most amazing uh, entrance? That's me done. Yeah, I'll be fine. It doesn't matter what else happens in the film. That's me done. I'll be happy with that. Luke Skywalker, wow. Will he save the galaxy or destroy it? Mm, yeah, I mean, hey. <laughs> I've been talk- I've been, I remember talking about this exact conversation in primary school in the playground, and to think it's actually really going to happen, yeah, it just blows my mind. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it's, I mean, what if we all wake up and it's been a dream? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, or maybe that will be the film. It'll just be Mark Hamill waking up and it's just a dream. Yeah, oh, oh. Hang on, that's a bit surreal. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Very strange. Well, well Jonathan, I'm d- definitely going to be checking out the Star Wars Insider uh, magazine. Thank uh, you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Obviously, if there's anything that the Vintage Rebellion can do, you know, please let us know. We'd be happy to push you in our social media and, and um, you know, obviously get the the other guys who are involved in the magazine, get them on, on board and discuss Star Wars. Oh, yeah, it's always good to talk Star Wars. Right, now let's go over to the watching of the market with Petey Weedy. <laughs> Petey Weety, what's all that? Right, again, we have to start with Vectus because they seem to be attracting, um, like a pot of honey, lots and lots of bees, and these bees are Star Wars bees. And stuff is just flying out of place. I mean, there's, there's another auction coming up at the end of this month, but this was one on, I think it was over two days, um, 26th and 27th of May, and we saw some ridiculous, ridiculous lots. And these came from, uh, the, it was known as the Palatoy Employee Sale. And it wasn't just Star Wars, it was 120-odd lots of Star Wars stuff and a lot of other Palatoy stuff for Action Man. I think in the end, the total uh, made was £200,000. So someone's having a very nice holiday as we speak. There were a few little items which it's worth covering because if you want to go and look at look at the stuff on the Vectus website, it's just a list of beautiful Palatoy Star Wars items. Twelve backs, a Death Star, which I saw when I went up to see Vectus a bit earlier on, just after I came out for Anaheim. And that box was, even though it was a little bit wavy, it was looked like it had been printed yesterday. It was pristine condition, and that went for just over £5,000. Hey, what are you trying to push on us? So what I do want to cover, and I think, Richard, you saw this as well when I actually visited Vectors themselves, and I want to get all you guys' opinion on this item. This is lot 5061. You can go and find it on the website. It will be put up on the Facebook page. And it was a box of water-damaged Star Wars items. I saw this firsthand, and I thought, right, that's pretty manky. It was it was just a cardboard box, and it had um, Empire Strikes back and a few Star Wars card backs in there. Some had the bubbles attached, some didn't. Some were fused together. Um, Lando Calrissian, Empire Strikes Back, car back, had decided to, to weld himself to many other car backs in some sort of weird kind of, you know, tryst. Um, it was really, really odd box. And there was also a lot of nice figures as well, which looked, looked completely mint. And they were loose. And they were, they were in a box within that box. But there was bubbles detached. The car backs, if they were not damaged, I guess it's worth, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds, but these card backs were 
absolutely wrecked. They were brittle. They were wavy. They'd folded over. Um, they'd been ripped off. I mean, to me, it, it was even though it was a box of cash. Um, there's a lot of stuff there which it will be hard to display and make it look nice because these carbacks were so brittle. I mean, they, they were they were flaking off in your hands. And the estimate on it was the usual vector's um, estimate of sixty to eighty pounds. In the end, it went for one thousand one hundred pounds. Now, I'm not sure how you're going to get your money back from that if you're going to sell it on. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys, what would you do with this lot? What would you do, um, Jez? If you if someone gave this to you, I'm going to start with you. What would you do? This lot? Would you display it? Would you sell it on? Would you detach these these figures from the car backs because they are wrecked? How would you go about it? Someone gave me something I could never sell it on. First of all, um, fuse together. I think yeah, I definitely have to put a fuse together one in my collection. Um, it is pretty crazy, isn't it? Let's face it. It wouldn't be the pride of my possession, I don't think. But no, any gifts, man. The last thing you would do is then sell that on. That would just be wrong. But what about if you bought it? Then? If you if you bought that item for you know if you if you, if you spent the one thousand one hundred. I mean, there's a lot of guys on Facebook who'd who'd bid on this, and a lot of people put like two three hundred pounds on it. But someone spent you know one thousand one hundred after fees. That's like one thousand three hundred and fifty quid. I mean, how on earth? How on earth would you get your money back off that, Rich? Well, to start off with, I would never have bought them. Um, I do know who has bought them, and I do know what he intends to do with them, and he's certainly not looking to sell them, um, which is great. And uh, the best news of all is, is that they're not going to be U-graded, um, so that's going to allay all of those fears. Um, it's not an item I would purchase. I, I'd be more worried about bringing them home than mouldy. Would that mould spread to other items that I owned? Yeah, that's a good point, Rich. I mean, they yeah. didn't appear mouldy, they just were wrecked. I'd imagine they'd been sitting in a bucket of water maybe for mm. a period of time. I know the Vectus did persuade the uh, the, the power toy employee to sell these. He was actually going to throw them away when he was going through his stuff. They said, well, you know, you never know what happened. And, you know, it's made a thousand pounds out of a box of, of very, very damaged car bikes. But I have to say the, the figures are all absolutely mint. There's nothing wrong with the figures. They haven't been a, a, attached. I had a close look at them and I didn't see any damage to them. Yeah, but these these items were in a bin bag originally um, when Vectis found them, and I believe this bin bag was literally tipped into the box that they were sold in, because um, some of the cards are missing their footers and things, so it's 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 on all likelihood the footers are probably still in the bin bags, though obviously those bin bags be trash by now. Um, but the guy who was a, who's actually bought these items, um, he is going to display them in some kind of acrylic display, perhaps keep them all together as the, the big palatoy rescued damaged lot um, separate from, from everything else which I think is a great idea and it probably is the only way you could display them one man's uh, junk is another man's treasure yeah I mean I, I, I didn't think that for a thousand pounds he'd even contemplate selling them on again this is something where if you look at even modern art as well nowadays who's that crazy woman in London who made a crappy unmade bed into a bit of art Bernard Matthews was it Tracy Emmett or something like Tracy that Emmett, Tracy Emmett Tracy Emmett yeah you know this, this could be art and as you said you know by them just recreating it is this is you know the whole sort of toy story these are the ones who escaped and uh, I think that would make a quite an interesting story so yeah fair play Stu, you uh, you actually had a pop on this, didn't you? 
I did, I did. Not not so much for the cards, but there was a lot of um, mint loose figures in there. Yeah. I, I didn't have a mega, mega bit. I was absolutely shocked at the price this went for. Um, because I, I was going to take out a few mint figures, probably one of each, and sell the rest because there's clearly about 12 jowers in there alone. Yeah. Um, and it does state in the advert that all the weapons are included. It actually states that in the thing. So it was a good price. I... I, I I had a bit of 250 on this, and I thought it would be short, but I n- never once <laughs> thought that it would clear a £1,000. I think whoever's bought it is bonkers for that money. <laughs> Unless he's buying it purely for his collection, I think he's, there's no way he can make money on this. The ones that weren't too bad seemed to have a Lando attached to the, to the backside, so you felt like, oh, yeah, that, that looks all right. Oh, actually, the Lando, you know, the other side up. Hello. Uh, stuck to the back. I don't know whether they prize them off, I don't know, but um, there was also a... a, a an odd little item in there, which was a Jawa had his hood detached. So I don't know why that happened. Um, and it looked quite a deliberate thing. It didn't look like it had ripped off. It looked like it had actually been detached for a reason. And I was trying to work out why that happened, or, or I'd be interested to see what sort of conversation that, that had occurred that uh, the the employee was going around maybe showing this this um, detached hood to somebody, or talking about maybe you know something that was coming later on, or maybe something they, they considered. It'd be fascinating to, to to find that out. And if anyone does know why that might have happened, then uh, please phone in on our hotline. Lady sample. <laughs> well, I don't think it was, um, but it was maybe it's something that they were considering, or. Maybe it was just showing, you know, the way it was stitched. I don't know, but uh, been fascinating. I mean, it, it was a box, a box of interesting stuff. I mean, if we can reach out to the person who bought it, they want to come on and talk about uh, what they're going to do with that ongoing. I'd really be interested. I think everyone will be really interested. But uh, yeah, I, I, I actually thought, well, you know, if you get a hundred quid for that, you'd be lucky. But one thousand one hundred, um, it just goes to show what uh, what is out there. Right, so there was a few other little items on that that auction which which intrigued me. Um, these were boxed um, multiple items. Uh, there was a um, Return of the Jedi Rebel Armored Snowspeeder. Um, there were six of those with the, with the actual box, and that went in the end for two thousand one hundred and sixty. And there was also six uh, Return of the Jedi X Wing fighters, and again in its box that went for three thousand three hundred and sixty. There was also, a snow speeder, six of those in the box, that went for 3,800. Where, where do you sit on the trade cans? Because, I mean, some actual empty boxes did sell, and not for that much. One went for £160, and one, I think, went for around about £20, but it was like, made up of other items. So, is anyone, anyone interested in collecting the, the outer cartons? I mean, for me, I don't know, I think it's maybe a step too far. I can understand, but... I don't own any any stuff like that. Um, would you display it? You, you, you're right. You're right on the point there. Where do you stop? Would, would you buy the pallet that the trade <laughs> boxes arrived on? Would you buy the forklift truck that picked up the pallet? Would you buy the truck that delivered these items? Yeah. Where, where, where do you stop? Yeah, it's it, it's just something where where I think there was a bit of a debate on on the Star Wars forum, um, the UK one. And it was should these things be removed from the box and sold individually? I can kind of I can kind of get it that that you'd want to keep those in the box together if they if they were done. But I don't know. It's, it just seems it seems like quite an odd thing. And uh, I, I know there are collectors out there. In fact, our friend Todd G Iganti is a is a box collector. I actually forwarded that auction on to him to see if he found it a pop. So I'll have to try and find out whether he ever did go for it in the end. But. Uh, yeah, it's um, it, it is it is definitely an interesting one. But considering that that some of these things went for ridiculous amounts of money, I mean, it's over three grand for 
you know, six pretty mint X-Men fighters is, is quite remarkable. Oh, you know. 50,000, no less. You may also remember that we covered the well, I cover the Beaches auction, or Frank Beach um, auction. The, his first auction went for £70,000, and there's a lot more stuff to come. And uh, I believe uh, June 25th, they're actually uh, going with part two. Uh, it will be part two of many. So uh, keep an eye out for those, and I'll, I'll be covering those later on. Now, I don't just talk about Vectors. I did actually pop along to an auction. Um, I wanted to experience the Astons auctions. I know they've, they've been on the podcast in the past. And um, I popped along there. It's only up the road in Dudley. And um, I did actually buy something. Um, I didn't really intend to. I was after some sort of modern stock for my uh, for my eBay page, and uh, I ended up buying um, for just about fifty quid about one hundred and forty Return of the Jedi comics, uh, which is you know not too bad. So I did pretty well there, and they were absolutely mint as well. They were all beautifully um, preserved, and a few doubles as well. So um, that was pretty good. The the, the Astor's Auction of Sales, it's a really nice building, really nice place. If you're in the Midlands, I suggest get around. The only problem is parking is a nightmare. There was something that, that did catch my eye. A New Hope script title page. I had autographs, and it was a copy apparently as well. I had autographs by George Lucas, Harrison Ford, Peter Mayhew, Alec Guinness, amongst a couple of others. And I was quite surprised it only went for 50 quid. Um, I didn't know whether what to do. I was kind of half tempted to, to have a pop with it. Um, I mean, the fact that it was on this rather naff-looking sort of copy of, of the, the script. I don't know. I mean, it was... It, guys, is that a bargain? I mean, who collects autographs? I mean, is 50 quid pretty cheap to get Harrison Ford out Guinness signature? I mean, it seems... These, these these are supposedly real signatures, but I don't know. Did did I miss out on that? Should I have gone for it? Jez? I would have bought that in a heartbeat. Even, I mean, 50 quid for something like that, even if that turns out to be fake, you know, it's 50 quid. What's that? That's a, that's a meal. That's 50 quid, like Jez. It's, but it's, I mean, what a, what a risk. What a chance. What an opportunity. Damn it, I wish I had known. I would have bought that. It oh, just came out. It, it came out. I wasn't even looking at that. It was one of those things where I had a, I had a loads of things marked down. You know, lots of you know, figures and stuff, and the comics I wanted to get all that stuff. Blah blah blah. But it just—it's like what? And then when, when you're in the room, you don't know what to do. Thinking, I need to look at it. I need—I have to look at it. But of course, it only comes up on the screen very quickly, and it—and it's gone. And you're thinking, oh my god, I really should have gone for that. If you were to buy that, them saying this is genuine, and you buy it, you pay your fifty quid. And then on closer inspection, or you know, you find out that it's definitely not legit. Then surely you can just turn around and say, "I'm not buying that because it's not legit." Well, they said they had a certificate of authenticity from Screen Stars, um, which I believe is reasonably well-known company. So I don't know. I mean, I mean, I mean, surely Harrison Ford autograph is worth a lot of money, isn't it? And even a, even an Alec Guinness one, I and mean, there can't be many of those floating around. Granted, would you, would you have gone for this? I think it's the biggest load of junk of all time. <laughs> I think it's fake it's fake as hell episode 4 in the title episode 4 wasn't on the title of any of the script pages so it's not a legitimate script page uh, I'm not falling for it at all there's no legitimacy to any of the autographs uh, who are screen stars the entertainment store never heard of them before are they you know a registered um, certificate authenticity group probably not I mean there's been so much fraud with Autographs, unless you had 100% uh, way of tracing this, I, w- I wouldn't even touch it. And the idea of these people signing it, I just, no, it's it's awful. 
if that was legit, with George Lucas, Alec Guinness, Mark Hamill, Peter Mayhew, and who is the other one? Harrison Ford. Mate, you'd be talking epic money. You'd be talking epic money for a legit Alec Guinness one. Uh, George Lucas and Harrison Ford on top. Yeah, they went for 50 quid for a reason. Exactly, but it was just an odd one that, that, that you think if it was a if it was a fake or that they should they should legally have to say that. I said it completely threw me, but uh, there, there was a lot of a lot of autographs. And it was quite interesting to see that there was actually people were buying, you know, autographs that have been personalised as well. There were, there were some of them which had you know, to you know Steve, um, from David Prowse kind of things, and uh, it was how much is that? Thirty quid. <laughs> it fluctuates a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it usually goes between like twenty nine and and thirty one, so uh, somewhere in, somewhere in between. But uh, there, there was a few other odd little lots in there. And I, I think one of them was um, a SNES. I know it's not really a Star Wars item, but that that just blew the room away. It went for eight hundred pounds. So I've been busy trying to go into my loft trying to find any old game console. Was it box? This wasn't. No, it was just a uh, loose thing. Had a, quite a lot of stuff with it, you know, guns and weapons and stuff. But yeah, eight hundred pound. Oh, is that, isn't that super scope? It's supposed to be super rare. That's where the um, money is. Possibly, possibly, but uh, it's definitely an interesting auction. And I should keep my eyes on that. But uh, yeah, really, really odd what what has come up in the last couple of months. But uh, I'm, I have to say, I'm really looking forward to the next next uh, Vectors auction because we've got. Coming soon, uh, Mark Jackson, who we spoke to a couple of podcasts ago, he's got a few more items coming up, and uh, we've been featuring those on our Facebook page. Um, so look out for those. There's some interesting displays coming up. Right, now I want to welcome back Egg Grant for this month's Rapid Fire. You ready, Ed? Yeah, sure. Wonderful. Favourite Star Wars movie? Empire Strikes Back. Favourite Star Wars scene? Empire Strikes Back, uh, Luke and Vader lightsaber fights. Favorite planet? Cloud City, if that if that counts as a as a uh, planet. Your favorite line of dialogue from any movie? If you only knew the power of the dark side, when Vader says it in Empire Strikes Back, or oh, it gives me uh, that, that that gives me goosebumps every time. Your favorite on-screen character? Han, I think. Yeah, he's he's the he's the bad boy, isn't he? Favorite part of the prequels? When they finish. Which five Star Wars characters would you most like to have around for a dinner party? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Yoda, R2-D2, Lobot, because he doesn't say anything. Chewie, because you can't understand what he says. And Boba Fett, I guess. Favourite Sith? Oh, got to be Darth Vader. Favourite lightsaber duel? I reckon I know now. Uh, yeah, the Empire Strikes <laughs> Back one at the end. It's uh, epic. Uh, your favourite figure as a child? Um, it was I had two. It was either Luke Bespin... No, sorry, Luke X-Wing or the Biker Scouts. They're my two favourites. And your favourite figure now? Uh, Luke Bespin. Uh, which character do you wish they'd made a figure of? Maybe some more uh, different um, soldiers, you know, so either the, uh, fir- the the ones from the first Star Wars scene or some of the different stormtroopers or something. Best accessories for a single figure? Um, I love the original lightsabers in the first three, uh, three figures. I know they're cheesy as hell, but I, I think they're great. Your favourite toy vehicle or playset? I don't, I've never had one, but the B-Wing, I think, is the most impressive. Vehicle or playset you wish they'd made? Maybe a full-size Death Star. Favourite Trilogo card artwork? I like the uh, Moody Leia Hoth one. What one thing would you alter to one figure to improve it? The lightsaber colours for the first for uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke in the, in the first 12. What was the last vintage Star Wars toy you purchased? Uh, I bought a boxed ATST Scout Walker a couple of weeks ago. Lovely. U-grading is? Uh, terrible. 
And finally, what is your Holy Grail item? I would love to have a Tri-Logo um, Jawa. That, that would be, that, yeah, that would make me very happy. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Ed. No problem. Right, so nearing the end of another show. And don't forget, you can find us on Facebook by searching The Vintage Rebellion. On Twitter, at SWTVR Podcast. We're also now on Instagram, where we'll be uploading photos of events we attend. You can find us on there by searching The Vintage Rebellion also. And, of course, you can email us directly at SWTVRPodcast at gmail.com. So leave us feedback or ask a question on any of these social media outlets, and one of the team will respond to you as soon as possible. Now, talking of feedback, Rich, do we have any from last month? Yes, we certainly do. We know, obviously, as you're aware, last month's uh, show was a shorter one. It was just a twinkle in the eye, wasn't it? It was only a mere two hours, 40. Is that about right, guys? That's shocking. We need to double yeah, that. Yeah, that's half-arsed, half-arsed last month. A lot of the feedback we had was, was positive. The, the shout-outs clearly is working. A lot of people are um, almost wetting themselves when they hear the names getting shouted out, which is which is great to see. It's great to see the enthusiasm and, uh, you know, the, we're, we're going to spread the love around, so we, we will incorporate everybody, small collectors, uh, large collectors, and everybody in between. We're, we'll keep that going. A lot of guys have commented on the banter between uh, Jez and Grant, which is was quite amazing because between the grunts, I'd be surprised if you've actually heard anything between them two. But uh, you, you two had some great banter last month. A lot of comments were directed towards the brand change, and I don't want to really go into that too much. Just to say, hopefully, at the end of this episode, most of the fears have been allayed, and we are the same guys that we're always going to be in stores from UK that we're home, and uh, we'll still see everybody there. A couple of negative ones on sound issues. And, and those have had us puzzled, and it would be, I think it would be wrong of us to dismiss these. But one or two of the sound issues seem to have been um, possible download issues, whereby if they've re-downloaded them again or they've paused them and went back and re-listened to it, the sound hasn't been there, so we can't really explain those ones. But there were one or two sound issues, um, certainly one from um, Andy Spoons, who commented on the sound perhaps being a little bit lower in certain places. Um, and it's certainly something that we're going to look at and we'll make sure that this month's episode is absolutely perfect and hopefully we're all back to normal now. So keep your feedback coming. As, as Stu just mentioned there, um, podcast at gmail.com or add to our Facebook or Stores from UK threads. Cheers, guys. Wonderful. Right, lads. So one final question for you boys this month from our rapid fire round of questions. And I've chosen this month, which toy vehicle from the vintage line was your favourite as a child? Um, let's start with Pete, because he always loves going first. Ah, oh, I love going first. Um, ooh, I think the one I play with most was probably... Oh, it's kind of like... Oh, it's a bit 50-50, but I think it, it had to be the Falcon in the end, because it was such a huge thing, and uh, it had the handle you could, you know, you could you know, fly with it. But the Atat was pretty close behind the, the two of them. Because it was, I think it was just a size. You didn't get like toys that ridiculous size and quality at the time, so um, you could smash the crap out of both of those. You know, they, 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 they could take a beating in the garden, or when you were trying to recreate hoth scenes or other things. Was this rapid fire? Was it? Yeah, <laughs> that's my rapid fire. Grant, um, I would say 
the Atat because it was like having another pet in the house, or maybe the Snow Speeder. Nice, Jez. Of all the things I had, it would have been a bike escape. Uh, let's say the speeder bike. And <laughs> I'm not even drinking. Yeah, the uh, the speeder bike. Awesome. Loved it. Explode. Um, Rich? I think I'll uh, join you with Pete. Probably my Falcon was my favourite. It's certainly one I remember playing with the most. But my favourite toy I actually didn't own was the white TIE fighter that Jez talked about in the latest acquisitions. Um, I didn't know they existed. Uh, it was only when I was at my friend's house one day after Star Wars had all died and we were playing... Um, on the ZX Spectrum or something along those lines. And you opened his cover and I saw the white tie fighter in there and I was like, wow, that is absolutely stunning. I just want to reread the question. Which toy vehicle from the vintage line was your favourite as a child? It wasn't. Which toy vehicle from the vintage line was your favourite as a child that you didn't know about? <laughs> I, was, I was still a child and it, and, it, and it definitely blew the Falcon out of the water when I saw it. Fair enough. I must I've, got some, I've got some stories about when I went to see things in the shops I could talk about if you want. I want to hear about stews. Um, mine would be the, the X-Wing as a child. Um, although the Falcon I owned, I shared a room with my brother and Star Wars toys were always in there because he was eight years older than me. So there was X-Wings everywhere. So it would be the X-Wing. I think the, I think the question was Star Wars toys, not Star <laughs> Wars toys. Did, did you get a feeling of claustrophobic um, when you pulled the canopy down on the X-Wing? <laughs> it must have been cool that though having a toy you could actually walk around in you know just inviting your mates around to sit in the back of the folder but was it a 4.5 gram canopy or was it a 5.5 gram <laughs> yeah we need, we, need, we need the weights here boys oh dearie me well Sadly, that brings us to the end of this show. I just want to say huge thank yous to this month's guests, Ed Grant, Jonathan Wilkins, Shane Turgeon. We truly appreciate everyone making the effort. So, another show over with. So, nothing else to mention. It will be goodbye from Richard. Later, guys. Good night from Grant. Thanks for listening. Farewell from Jez. See you next time, guys. Goodbye from Petey. Sorry, sweetheart. I haven't got time for anything else. And it's good night from me. And remember, only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Right, I'm now using the microphone, but I can't hear you guys. You're sounding perfect coming through the microphone as well. But the thing is, all I can hear is you, like you're a very, very tiny man inside my microphone. Tiny little man. But the, the, the sound's coming out your microphone. Yep. But very, very quietly. How? <laughs>
So I'm going to plug in my USB speakers. Hang on. Can you guys is, it, is it a headset microphone you've got? No, it's the same microphone I've always been using. And the thing is, I've now just plugged in my USB speakers, which have got power going to them, but it's just completely disabled all other sound. Did you get a so Sony, mate? Sure. <clears throat> Hang on a second. I'm going to unplug it. I, I can hear Grant speaking, but I can't tell what he's saying. Hang on. Go on, mate. I've just unplugged the mic. Okay. <laughs> uh, did you get a Sony? No. <laughs> did you have to replug that, in your that, podcast before you answer then? That was a scary <laughs> delay then, wasn't it? That's the time that I thought it should take. 